This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Here we go! Listening to the Emerald Flow Show on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. Welcome to the fifth episode of the Emerald Flow Show. I'm Gerard Detrolio here with Paul Vosch, and we're part of the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network. You can follow the subscribe to the podcast on any of the major podcasting apps. And if you're on Apple Podcasts, uh, follow us and rate us and give us a five-star rating. And if you're so inclined, you can visit voicesofwrestling.com slash donate where you can donate to our podcast there's no obligation but any donations would be greatly appreciated well paul it's spring so happy spring and uh that was also a big holiday in japan which brought us a lot of shows which i finally caught up to today how long did it take you to watch everything that happened all weekend uh yeah pretty much the same like i finished like yesterday evening at around like 11. I think is when I actually finally watched uh, the last match that I needed to watch. <laughs> I think like how many hours is it in total? Because the DDT file was like six and a half hours, and uh, yeah, then it's like three, three to two hours for every other show. So it's like I don't think I think we got like legitimately like over half days worth of wrestling that we watched for this show. Well, I mean, the amount of wrestling I watched is even bigger because I watched uh, Tokyo Joshi's Grand Princess as well. <laughs> Yeah, that as well. And then some, there's some new, I actually still need to catch up on some new Japan shows that happen as well with some great stuff from the new Japan Cup. So yeah, <laughs> wrestling, nonstop Japanese wrestling. And it's only going to get busier from here because then we're going to have Golden Week coming up. And so, and then, you know, the Champion Carnival and then Best of the Super Juniors is back to the normal time that it usually is. So there's just going to be a lot going on between now until the end of the summer, assuming depending on when the G1 is. Yeah, but and we probably, also still have the Noah, the Noah Sumo Hall shows coming up as yep. well. So it'll be a crazy couple of months. Um, so with that, because we have a lot to talk about, we will head over to the first time ever on this show. We're covering Dramatic Dream Team, 
which just celebrated their 25th anniversary uh, with the show Judgment at uh, Sumo Hall. And they drew 2,516 fans, which they called a no vacancy. I'm not sure what the cap is, but I would assume that it's probably probably in the range of the low 3,000s. Uh, what do you think of that number, Paul? Uh, I think it's okay. Like, it is just really hard to kind of estimate attendances in Tokyo right now because as far as I know, technically, the government there, or like the Japanese national government doesn't impose attendance caps on venues in Tokyo anymore, but then the Tokyo municipal government might still oppose attendance caps and then a lot of buildings are actually owned by the municipal governments so it's not quite sure how many fans are actually allowed into each building at the moment which which makes like estimating attendance is even harder than it normally is like i would say that generally speaking this is probably a good number and it looked like a decently sized crowd but again like i'm not entirely sure how much they were actually like allowed how many tickets they were actually allowed to sell as well. So I would say generally, it probably seems like a decent number, but it's just incredibly hard to assess. Yeah. So, I mean, no vacancy. You've got to sell probably at least 80 to 90% of your tickets yeah. if you're if you're claiming that. So I think it, all things considered, it was uh, a decent. Yeah. It's um, not a super no vacancy, but no. yeah. Super no vacancy or super no vacancy full house. <laughs> Um, so to start off the show, there were two dark matches. Uh, the first was Yusuke Okada, Yuya Koroku, and Illusion. They defeated Toi Kojima, Yuki Ishida, and Al Unicorn in 11 minutes with the sudden death of Okada's sudden death on Ishida. Uh, I thought this was a really good opener. Uh, Koroku is coming along nicely. Uh, Illusion, who's from the DD Teen uh, like sub brand thing training program. Uh, all he is right now is high spots, but he did some cool moves in this and it was really fast paced and the right guy won. It's nice to see Okada actually, you know, get a pinfall here. I mean, <laughs> I mean, as both of us as like long suffering uh, Okada fans all the way from when he like started uh, in all Japan. Uh, it is definitely good to see him pick up a win, but I'm also not really a big fan of him like being in the opener. Uh, yet again of a big show because that's just kind of has been just kind of the like aside from his like opening match with you uh with yuki ueno and uh, with his uh universal title match with yuki ueno from last year he has still been an opening guy in ddt as well despite being really good so yeah i mean i guess at least it is an improvement over where he was in all japan because at least here he's picking up wins in the openers rather than being the guy getting pinned in the opener yeah and i think as we'll talk about after we talk about the result of the main event i think he will be higher up on the card at least on the smaller shows and plus koroku is going to be the guy that takes most pinfalls in burning anyway uh so the second match was a time uh, timed, it's called Time Difference Admission Battle Royal, is basically is how it translates to. And Yuji Hino and Yukio Naya uh, defeated Yasu Yurano and Shota in 14 minutes and 28 seconds with the fucking bomb from Hino and the backdrop suplex on Naya. They pinned both of their opponents at the same time. The other teams in this match was uh, Tomohiko Hashimoto, Seiya Morohashi, uh, Gorgeous Matsuno, and Gota Ihashi, and Andre the Giant Panda, and Super Sasadango Machine, 
and Minoru Fujita, MJ Paul. Um, this was fun for what it was. It was really just, you know, guys, you know, your usual battle royal stuff until Andre the Giant Panda came out and then did all his gimmick and struggled to get into the ring under the ropes as usual and everything. Um, this was a very DDT match, but I think out of all of those teams, um, the right team won, given what's also happening to the tag titles later on the card. Yeah, no, I definitely think the right team won. The match was just kind of okay until Andreza got in, uh, and then it just really, like, then it got really fun. I mean, how can you not love Andreza? Like, I mean, obviously, unless you just really don't like like comedy in general, then I get it. But otherwise, how can you not love Andreza the giant panda? He's just immensely fun, like just this gigantic inflated panda just coming in and just wrecking shop on everyone. I especially loved his interactions with Yuji Hino, where like Hino was like just not quite sure how what to do here. And he was like kind of no selling uh no selling the danger of Andresa, and then he finally came around at the end, uh, where he was really scared of getting after Andresa took everyone out with his uh, shoot headbutts. I, I uh, thought those uh, Hino chops to Andresa was hilarious. Yeah, that was that was that was tremendous. Yeah, because he could also see the person in the suit just visibly like reeling back from them, <laughs> because because Hino really didn't pull uh, his chops there. Like he was just like, well, I mean, this is like a giant inflated suit, so I'm just gonna chop the suit as hard as I can. Yeah. So right team one, standard DDT style battle royal. Uh, so right before the actual show officially launched, there was this awesome uh, video celebrating 25 years of DDT with like footage all the way through. Lots of Kenny Omega, lots of Kota Bushi in that video as well. Plus basically everyone you can ever think of that popped up in DDT, like, you know, like clips from the Minoru Suzuki, Shinsiro Tatagi, empty Tokyo Dome mm -hmm. match, all of those moments, the fireworks, all of those crazy outdoor stuff. Yeah. What do you think of that video, Paul? Yeah, I love the video. And actually, was one thing I actually found interesting about it was how much it focused on people uh, that have left DDT and kind of the moment that they leave DDT as well. Because we got that with we got that moment with uh, Kenny, we got that moment from Erie as well, and just found that very curious that it's like, hey, look at all of these former top guys that like went through DDT and did everything they could in DDT, uh, and that have now moved on to like other places as well. Which I don't know if that was intentional or not, or if that was just general part of their twenty fifth anniversary, but might be a little prophetic given uh, what people have assumed will happen to uh, Takeshita now that he has lost the title where there's a lot of rumors flying around that he will now also leave DDT and go to AEW full-time right although I always got the feeling when you leave DDT it's generally not there's not usually hard feelings no 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 absolutely not and then that that's the really the feeling you got from that video package as well yeah for sure uh, so the first match on the show was a real blast from the past. It was for the KOD 10-man tag team titles. Poison swatted Julie, Takashi Sasaki, Jentaro, Mikami, and Tano Musaku Toba defeated Toru Washi, Antonio Honda, Kazuki Hirata, and Yoshihiko in 8 minutes and 49 seconds with a schoolboy from Mikami on Honda uh, for a title change. And um, yeah, I mean... They kept this short because uh, some of the team members on the sort of retro DDT 
uh, team and we're going back to like these most of these guys are the stars of the first couple of years of the company and um yeah so i mean i i enjoyed this for what it was uh i guess we're going to see a lot of them more of them during this 25th anniversary thing and it was kept short so i can't really complain because a lot of the times these 10-man tag title matches are not great <laughs> yeah no it's fine i mean the champions also held out well given that they are uh that they were at a disadvantage, that it was technically a uh, a handicap match since they were only four people on the champion team uh, and obviously five people on the other team. Oh, right, because uh, they, yeah. they made them eight-man titles because of COVID protocol. <laughs> yeah, and also because I don't know if they ever count the person with Yoshihiko as like an additional person. Because like, obviously there is like another person and then Yoshihiko, but I don't know if they those were like counted separately or not but it was like four like they were only counted them as four people on the team yeah. uh but yeah i mean it was it was fine uh like it's a good like opener as well especially on your 25th anniversary to bring back some people from your past and like have them have like one last big hurrah as well and yeah it was fun okay and so the second or sort of official second match on the show, Saki Akai beat Maya Yukihi in 10 minutes and 40 seconds with the Quetzalcoatl. Um, I thought this match rocked. They just sort of stiffed each other, and it was great back-and-forth action. Um, I would have done things a little differently. I think you could have squeezed more out of this rivalry. You could have had Yukihi uh, go over, but, I mean, I think she's going to be sticking around DDT, and she's a great addition. Yep, no, this was really good. Uh, Saki Akai to me is really someone that is just like amazing to like how far she's come. Because she was like when they originally uh, gave her the Saki Sama character uh, in Tokyo Joshi Pro, it was also someone to like kind of hide her limitations in the ring as well. And now she like she could just like that's not the case at all anymore. Like Saki Akai has just become really, really good wrestler as well now. And I think it really has helped her to be able to wrestle as Saki Akai and not Saki Summer in DDT, where that has just really allowed her to just go in there with like a lot of like really good wrestlers and just really hone her craft and just become like a really good wrestler. And this has really shown here now. So, and I mean, I love the Saki Summer character in Tokidoshi Pro, but in some ways it is kind of holding her back in ring wise in that promotion now. So I actually would be kind of curious if Tokyo Joshi would kind of allow her to like show more of her like in-ring chops now and how that might go if that were to happen. But obviously that doesn't really work with the Saki Summer character. But that is actually what I really took away from this match where I'm like, I kind of would like to see this Saki Akai in Tokyo Joshi Pro and mix it up with the women there as well. Yeah, I think this was like the second best match of the show actually. Yeah, I mean, I, I can definitely see that argument. Uh, I think for number two, it would be either this or the tag team titles. Yeah, it's this or the tag team titles for me as well. Uh, yeah, no, I can, I can definitely see that argument. And the more I think about it, I, I think I actually agree with you. Yeah, I think this was the second best match on the show. And speaking of people that should go to AEW, I think uh, Yukihi should because she expressed interest in it earlier this year. Uh, she did a story that got picked up in the media in Japan. And also, she speaks English. So... I think she would actually be a very good fit for AEW right now, given what I just saw on Dynamite Tonight. What um, happened on Dynamite Tonight? I oh, it was just, it was <laughs> it happened at like three in the morning. Versus, <laughs> it was another uh, Red Velvet versus Layla Hirsch match. 
Oh jeez, okay, no, yeah, no, please. <laughs> in yeah. that case, I I can't wait to have to watch that on uh, Monday when it gets uploaded in Germany. <laughs> and so uh, the next match after that was the DDT twenty fifth anniversary singles match. It was a no DQ. I'm sorry match, which is basically like I'm I quit match, but instead of saying I quit, you're saying I'm sorry. And we had uh, Shanshiro Takagi defeated Michael Nakazawa of AEW in 10 minutes and 20 seconds when he got Nakazawa to say, I'm sorry, or he would have uh, power bombed him into a bunch of uh, the plastic bins that Takagi loves to use. Um, I did enjoy this for what it was. Uh, it's very DDT match uh, with lots of like goofy spots and like plunder and everything like that. But, you know, it was, it was good for what it was. And like, again, if you're a fan of DDT, you will enjoy this. And, you know, it was also like a chance to see Nakazawa like do his usual DDT thing that he hasn't done in quite some time. You know, I actually thought this was perfect, the perfect length as well. Like it really didn't overstay its welcome. They did in there, they did, they did the spots and then they got out of there. And I mean, how can you not love Sanshiro Takagi as well? Like that's another one in there. Like I think he's just really, really good at what he does. And he also really know, knows his limitations really well. Uh, so I, I actually had like a couple of like love or love, uh, loud moments, uh, during the match and uh, yeah, like him, uh, pile driving Nakazawa into the toilet. That was great. And just those bins, I think those bins are great as well because kind of everything that just kind of bursts in kind of a spectacular way always works really, really well in wrestling. Like, especially after Nakazawa had already given up when Takagi had him up there to powerbomb him through the, uh, through the bins. And then he just powerbombs him through them anyway. That uh, was great. Yeah. And uh, we had two straight nights of the uh, steel chair pyramid because uh, he built uh, and got another one built in the, the night before in his match against Hyper Masao on Grand Princess. Yeah, so it was actually that again, it's also uh, like we're not going to talk about that show, but that's yeah. also like a really another really, really fun match. Yeah, uh, so Takagi had a good weekend and they were very similar sort of format in both sort of ways. Um, yeah, you know. no, like, I mean, it's, it's like a thing. It's like, obviously, like you have to like DDT comedy, but if you like DDT comedy, this is like about as good as a comedy match as you can make. Yeah. And so after that, we got the big announcement uh, from Christopher Daniels, which I thought was an interesting choice. Uh, I'm kind of surprised it wasn't Kenny. Like, I know he's away, but it's not like he's been quiet on Twitter and he's given interviews, like, to Meltzer and everything like that. So I'm kind of surprised. Like, do Japanese people even know who he is without the Crayman mask on? <laughs> yeah, that's the curious thing, because I'm trying to think. I'm, I mean, I would assume that just Christopher Daniels has wrestled in Japan at some point. Uh, but I'm also struggling GNA? to think when it would have been like it has to be at least a little bit but like he wouldn't be well known i would assume i mean he has been on i don't know if tna has ever been on tv in japan i would he he, he oh yeah no i definitely know at least one match that he definitely wrestled as christopher dennis in japan and that was the impact or the tna wrestle one joint show in Kurokan. Oh, okay he wrestled that one as christopher dennis but yeah obviously that's assuming a lot from people that they would remember him from that. Just from that. But I mean, it, it does make sense because he is kind of like the talent guy in the office. Like, I think that's kind of known now that he is like the guy that does, uh, that like is responsible for like bringing in people into the promotion. 
So, but I think that was also like the first time we have seen like office Christopher Daniels. Yes, it is actually when he's not like just sitting around doing nothing because he's been ghosting wrestlers apparently. <laughs> yeah. Stuff in the reported. Um, so, what do you think of this relationship? Because I see see some people excited, some people negative because they don't think that like that AEW is going to use the DDT or and also extends to Tokyo Joshi as well. Like they're not going to use these wrestlers properly or anything like that or bother using them that much. I mean, it is, I can kind of get that concern as well, because just looking at the people that they have brought in the past, they've all other Japanese wrestlers that they have brought in the past, generally, they've given them like, like maybe with the exception of Hikaru Shida, they've given them one kind of big run on TV. And then they've generally been kind of shuffled off into, uh, into AEW dark duty afterwards. So I yeah. do get that concern. So I think maybe the I well, I well I would say for AEW the woman would be more valuable for them at this point. And uh, I think the other flip side is seeing some AEW talent in DDT, which I think would be used like a lot better. Yeah, no, I think there's definitely a lot of people that they can bring in that would be really really interesting. I think it might be also a really good opportunity for them to send over a bunch of their younger guys as well that they want to develop. Because I think they could be like very much like benefiting from it. Like what I'm curious about now though is if that affects in any way. Like, did you get the feeling that this was a that this is kind of a um uh, kind of a like relationship that now kind of DDT is kind of the exclusive partner in Japan, or if that still means that the people that want to wrestle in new Japan can still wrestle in new Japan. Oh, I would assume people can wrestle. Well, people have covers on their contracts to wrestle in Japan regardless, yeah, right? True. Cause Mox had that before yeah. uh, there was any deal. Kenny has that apparently. Yeah. Cause he was in DDT at one yeah. point while he's been in AEW and um like there's some other people with that and i'm sure uh brian danielson uh has that as well i would be it's probably just being allowed to wrestle in japan i'm not sure if it's just new japan or something but that's probably negotiated in there because I, because i'm what i'm curious about is who they're actually going to send over now because yeah i do think they should send over like a lot of their younger guys but it would also be kind of weird if that's all they send over, but then I'm kind of struggling to think which of their major stars would want to wrestle in DDT instead of New Japan, except from Kenny, obviously. Yeah. Because for everyone else, like Mox obviously wants to work New Japan. Jericho uh, Ricky Starks has done DDT. Yeah. Ricky Starks would be one. I guess Sammy Guevara, maybe I could see him. Hasn't he worked DDT before? Sammy? I'm not sure about that. I can't yeah, remember. Kinda... There's always remember people in DDT that there. you forget that were working yeah, there. That have been there. And yeah, because they, they kind of have like a weird grab bag of foreigners that they tend to bring in every once in a while. Yeah, so like I could I... see him maybe come in. Hangman? Well, but Hangman has worked no. in Japan before, and I think he would probably prefer to be in a G1 rather than be in DDT. Yeah. Uh, so I guess that just remains to be seen. I mean, it wouldn't be bad to send like the younger wrestlers there for reps anyway, right? Yeah. No, I think that should be like the main goal as well. Or why not like, you know, send the Hardys over? 
<laughs> I mean, they should actually they should send some of their women over actually to get some yes. uh, season. Well, I mean, I don't know if she's going to go over, but weren't Maki Ito and Thunder Rosa teasing stuff? But I don't yeah. think that's happening now that uh, Thunder Rosa is the champ. But I mean, Thunder Rosa like used to be uh, Tokyo Joshi Pro regular as well. Yeah. So I could definitely see her like rather than go to like I could see her obviously do some stuff in DDT, but I could definitely see her go back to Tokyo Joshi Pro at some point as well. Like maybe at, not while she's champ, but I could definitely see her go there again afterwards. Yeah. So also uh, right after the AEW announcement, uh, they announced there will be a King of Street Wrestling tournament in uh, April. Uh, so these matches will not have a ring. They made that clear. They had a picture of a ring with it crossed out. And so I don't know too much of the details, but I just have the lineup here. It's Sanshiro Takagi, Shunma Katsumata, Chris Brooks, Wara Wutnoi, Kayachiong, who's a Muay Thai fighter, Hikaru Machida, who's also a Muay Thai fighter, uh, someone called The Grudge, Suzu Suzuki, and Abdullah Kobayashi. <laughs> what a lineup. <laughs> that is a crazy lineup. And I don't even know what those Muay Thai guys are going to even be like. Probably just coming in like hit people. Well, really hard yeah, so uh that could go very well or bms you don't Abdullah know Abdullah kobayashi versus a muay thai fighter is some tremendous stuff <laughs> yeah that's gonna he's gonna get bruised up on his fat belly yeah because <laughs> i could definitely see he's definitely gonna get like put up against one of them at the very least because and they're just gonna kick him really hard <laughs> so yeah, that's gonna that, be fun yeah we had another tag match uh, Yuki Ueno and Shunma Katsumata defeated Isami Kodaka and Yukio Sakaguchi in 11.02 when Ueno pinned Sakaguchi after the WR. Uh, this was another great match, uh, just like super fast paced because they just got it all mm -hmm. in there in 11 minutes. I mean, everyone in this match is awesome. Well, yeah, Katsumata is not bad. I would say he's the weakest link, but he was no uh, real drag of the match or anything at all. And pretty big win for Ueno. Yeah, Yoenna uh, to me is very clearly kind of the next guy in DDT, the next one up, who's going to get pushed to the top of the promotion. I would very, I would very much assume that he's going to be the person that beats Endo for the title, uh, because they have just built him up really well. Like he had that amazing Universal Title reign. He was the guy that got the pin at the Cyber Fight Festival uh, in the big tag match. Uh, and he obviously got the pin here as well. So I think, and Ueno is like, he's a tremendous wrestler. Like he's really, if you don't watch DDT at all, you should really like go out of your way to at least check out Yuki Ueno stuff because he, I think you could watch definitely- Watch his match against Yusuke Okada from last yeah, year. Yeah, watch his match against Okada. That, that was like, a, I think that was a top five match for me last year. And he, I, I think you can make a very easy argument that he is a top 10 wrestler in the world right now. Oh, definitely, for sure. Absolutely. Um, so, yeah, to me, he's he's going to get pushed to the moon now, If especially if there's a spot opening up, if Takeshita is really leaving, then it just makes all the sense in the world to just put him into that slot. For sure. And I think, well, I guess we'll get to that, but Takeshita leaving is kind of, kind of beneficial for that reason because there's some young guys that could really move up that haven't yet. Yeah. Oh, oh boy. Uh, next was the <laughs> Lili Co retirement match. The team Pheromones, consisting of Dan Shoku, Dandy Dino, Yuki Sexy Ino, and Yumahito Fantastic Imanari, defeated Lili Ko, 
Ryohei Odai and Akito, uh, and they were accompanied by the band Junretsu. Uh, this match went 15, 16 minutes and 52 <laughs> seconds when Dino made Liliko submit to a knee lock. And the context is that Liliko, she only, this is according to Cage Match, she only had like 14 matches in her career. Yeah. And she won like the Extreme title and the Iron Man title, which everyone wins over the course of those matches. Um, she's like a television personality and a musician and a voice actress. And her husband, who is uh, Odai, who has no wrestling experience, um, he was a voice actor in one of the Gundam series, and he was also live action in one of the Common Rider series. Um, so I would say he acquitted himself pretty well uh, in this match, all things considered, uh, given that he has no professional wrestling experience. Yeah. Uh, this match was shit. <laughs> uh, I gave it a quarter star. Uh, the only reason I gave it a quarter star is that the finish made sense because the reason that Liliko's retiring is because she had uh, fractured her patella, which is your kneecap. And so, um, and this happened in 2020, but only now is the retirement ha match happening. So Dino putting her in a knee lock, you know, actually makes sense. Now, as much as I hated the match, I thought the whole after post-match, because her husband's a member of the Junretsu band, and, you know, he serenades her and everything like that. So that was emotional. But you can fast forward through the match and just watch the retirement ceremony itself, I'd say. Yeah, no, I think the match went a little bit too long as well. It didn't need to be uh, over 15 minutes. Uh, probably could have cut, like, easily cut, like, five minutes out of that one. I did kind of like how dramatic the finish was, though. Uh, I think the whole finishing sequence was actually kind of fun, where yeah, Lilico was just, where Lilico was just like, "Yeah, I'm retiring, but that doesn't mean I'm gonna give up and just refuse to go down." And then Dino, just the dastardly person that he is, puts her in a knee lock and makes her forces her to submit, as she's like looking at her husband crying. <laughs> I think that actually was a really good kind of finishing sequence. And then the entire post match is just tremendous. And I think maybe, maybe actually, yeah, you can fast forward through most of the match. I think maybe from the moment that you should watch the match is there's a moment where Dino pins Lilico and then time slows down and a video package starts playing about her career. Uh, and I think if you watch it from there, I think you're going to get all of the stuff you really need uh, from this match. Because then, like, because they play the video package and the expectation from everyone is like, oh, this is like where she gets pinned, like, because we just played this emotional video package. And then she kicks out. Uh, and then, yeah, they go into the finish from there. Uh, but yeah, the entire post match sequence was just absolutely tremendous, just very emotional, where Odai just starts singing. And he is also bawling his eyes out, and she's standing in the ring, bawling her eyes out. and was just a really, really nice moment. And I would actually say it was probably one of the better pro wrestling retirement like ceremonies that I've seen, uh, just because of just how genuinely heartfelt it was. So, and you don't necessarily often get that in wrestling. So I, I really, really liked that aspect of it. And I think maybe one more thing on Lilico as well, and this one goes out to our Swedish listeners. Where would you guys rank Liliko on your list of all-time Swedish wrestlers? Because I don't think a lot of people know that she is like half Swedish, half Japanese. That's right. I can't even think of any Swedish wrestlers off the top of my head. 
Yeah, that, that's why that goes out to our Swedish listeners because they probably know other Swedish wrestlers. Because I can think of really Finnish the only wrestlers. other Swedish wrestler I know is Endakara, and I only know that because I watched him at Carrot uh, two weeks ago. Any good? Endakara, Endakara is really good. Like he, I think he's still a bit younger. He's a bit on the smaller side, but he has like a lot of talent. Actually, that might be a guy I, I might want to see like a promotion like DDT uh, bring in. <laughs> Also, I got to say, Dino was a tremendous heel. Yeah. Especially in the closing minutes. Like, he was really dastardly where he was just, like, he was really cocky throughout the entire match and was just, like, I'm just going to finish off Lilico because she's just beneath me, especially now that she has, like, no knees. And, yeah, him putting him putting her in that uh, knee lock as well, like, he, like, just a delight on his face when he knew that he was, like, going to win there. Like, yeah, it was really good. And so the next match was the Junakiyama 30th anniversary match. Uh, Junakiyama and the man that he's been tied to since the beginning of his career through multiple promotions that they've been in together, Takao Mori, defeated Kazusada uh, Higuchi and Hideki Okatani in 12 minutes and 36 seconds when Aki, after Akiyama hit uh, Okatani with the rich rich wrist clutch exploder and pinned him. Um, I thought this was a really fun match. Okatani's new persona is really good. It was probably a good idea to put him in eruption, even though it didn't seem like eruption needed a fourth member. But, you know, this was just playing the hits for Akiyama and Omori, but it was effective and Okatani looked great. Yeah. Um, I mean, I loved uh, eruption just as a trio, but I think it also freshens them up a little bit to have like a fourth person or to have like a young guy in there now uh, that they can kind of build up. And I think Okatani is also one of the first uh, uh, one of the first Akiyama trainees uh, from DDT. Because he was trained by Akiyama and like just given kind of the time frame when he made his debut, I think he should have been like one of the first one of the Akiyama trainees to make his debut. And it's always fun to see June kind of go in there and torture his trainees uh, in a wrestling match. And actually, what I actually really like, what I what we got out of uh, Omori as well, because in all Japan, like he doesn't really get that many opportunities to kind of show what he can do, because he is kind of just mostly and just kind of irrelevant, kind of undercut tag matches these days. So it was kind of nice to see him get a bit more serious than he normally is. Um, one thing I thought about when after watching this match is that Shuji Ishikawa wasn't on this show. Yeah, that is curious. Now, because he's worked DDT, he works a couple DDT shows every year still. Yeah. Now, I wonder if they kept him off the show because they didn't want him getting COVID just in case because he had a triple <laughs> crown match the next day. Yeah, I think that might have been, a, a, or like, yeah, him to get COVID, like said, so it doesn't even make an appearance. And I think definitely not him not having a match if he has a triple crown match the next uh, the next day. So I think it makes sense that he didn't work a match, but yeah, it is curious that he didn't at least make like an, an appearance at all. He was in the video, but that's it. Yeah. 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 But like, I mean, it definitely would have been like a DDT 25th anniversary thing to have him come out and do karaoke again. Oh, for sure. Yeah. So yeah, I did, all the more reason why it just felt like um, that he wasn't on the show for that reason. Um, the next match after that was for the DDT Universal title. A hardcore three-way match. Mao defeated Daisuke Sasaki, who was the champion, and Jun Kasai in 19 minutes and 56 seconds with a super Michinoku driver 
on Sasaki. So that was off the top rope through a table, which looked brutal. And so now Mao uh, is the new Universal Champion. Uh, I thought this was actually pretty good for a hardcore match, and it didn't feel like it necessarily went 20 minutes because I was sort of thinking this could be not great, but I'd say it was pretty good. Not like super great or anything, but like, you know, Mal looked good and Mao sort of hit and miss a lot of the time. So, you know, mission accomplished. Yeah, no, it was an okay match. I was a little bit disappointed. I had a bit of higher expectations given that it's a hardcore match with Sasaki and Kasai. Uh, I mean, Kasai just kind of basically just ran through his spots, more or less. Uh, like, I'm not necessarily certain why this had to be a freeway match rather than just a straight-up Mao versus Sasaki hardcore match. I guess maybe they wanted to have the safety there of having, like, a bit more of, like, having, like, two experienced hardcore guys, hardcore match guys in there with Mao. But yeah, it was an okay match. Like, I didn't really think it was anything all that special, but I am definitely interested what Mao can do with the Universal title now. Because I do generally like Mao. It's just, yeah, he can be a bit inconsistent at times. So I'm curious if he is, if he can find some consistency now that he has like a major title around his waist. So I think this sort of exceeded my expectations because I'm not really a Mao or a Sasaki fan. And I thought to myself, well, Junkasai is the only wrestler that I really like in this match. So <laughs> I think that's sort of affected some of my thinking in that one. Yeah, and for me, for me, because I am kind of a deathmatch fan, it was like, yeah, it, it was nice. But to be fair, it is like limited. Like hardcore matches in Sumo Hall are always a bit limited because you're not allowed to do everything that you potentially could in a hardcore match. So I guess... That is always my issue as well, whenever people try and do kind of hardcore stuff in Sumo Hall, because you can't do glass, which to me, as a I, big fan of glass, that's always a... Wasn't there a big Japan show where they set up like a barbed wire ring, like separately from the normal wrestling ring in Sumo Hall one year? Maybe. Does that sound familiar? It's sort I, of been in I 2019 could, or 2018. Think, yeah, I mean, it has been a while since Big Japan has run Sumo Hall as well. It probably had to have been even earlier than that because I do remember that actually, uh, I think the last Sumo Hall show that Big Japan did, I actually was one of my first reviews I wrote for Voices of Wrestling. So, and I, I don't remember think the last Sumo Hall show had Walter on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that was an amazing match. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that, that show I reviewed. Yeah, yeah. And oh, that, I'm sorry, that Gunther. <laughs> yeah, I don't know who that is. <laughs> as far as I'm concerned, Walter is retired and I don't know who that wrestler is that you just talked about. Uh, but I also have no interest in finding out. Like, I'm not really a big fan of uh, wrestlers named after, uh, uh, after fucking uh, Nazi U-boat commanders. Like, not really big fan. All right. So after that, we had the KOD tag team title. Chris Brooks and Masahiro Takanashi defeated Hiroshima and Naomi Yoshimura in 18 minutes and 50 seconds. Uh, with a modified octopus hold from Brooks on Yoshimura. And um, while well, the booking with this was weird because Hiroshima and Yoshimura just won the tag titles back in the Ultimate Tag League because they had put the titles up, sort of like that old school All Japan thing where teams would vacate for the real world tag league. And so they failed in their first defense. Uh, but apart from the strange booking, you know, I thought this match was pretty good and not really a Takanashi fan. 
Um, so I was like, well, what is this going to be? Hiroshima and Yoshimura are great. Yoshimura has really come a long way. And this was just awesome, I thought. Second, you know, we, you could debate it, but this was like second or third best match of the show. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it was a little bit of stuff in there that I didn't like when they just got a little bit too cute. Uh, but I think otherwise it was a really good match. Uh, what I really liked actually was on commentary uh, with uh, Balianaki uh, because Brooks and Takanashi are obviously regulars in Choco Pro and uh, I think at this point, Aki kind kind of runs that with Mesa Ruga, I suppose, yep. given that Emmy is in uh, is in the US still. So uh, and Brooks and Takanashi are also the uh, the Super Asia tag titles, which is the tag title that they use in Joko Pro and Gato Move, and they actually brought those titles out with them as well. So I think uh, this was actually Aki's really big shining moment on commentary here as well. Like I think he did really well in this match. I think in general, actually, I actually liked the uh, the English commentary throughout the entire show, given that everyone was kind of like a little bit out of their like comfort zone, and that they, that team also had like pretty much no experience with each other. I think they actually like adjusted really well to like all of the roles they were playing on commentary. Yeah, I, I enjoyed the commentary too. I thought Aki was good, uh, and then uh, it was it was her name Christelle mm-hmm. for her first time. She was pretty good, and I and I can't remember the uh, name of the journalist. Because uh, he also does Noah shows too, or has done Noah shows. Yeah, yeah, he, he, yeah. He because he did Joshi. the Great Voyage, right? He did the Great Voyage show yep. as well. and he's been on yeah. Tokyo Joshi shows, and uh, he's gotten a lot better since he started. I'd say his English. Yeah, is no, he good. he was not good at the start because it was very clear that it's like it's very clear that you have a lot of knowledge, but you're not really sure how to like bring it across, especially in like something that is not your first language as well. So, but I think he, like, since then, I think he has actually gotten uh, pretty good as well. So I think he, he's, like, rapidly improving where he's, like, knows, like, when to, like, come in and give additional context to stuff. And our main event for the KOD Openweight title, Tetsuya Endo defeated Kanasuke Takeshida in 46 minutes and 30 seconds with the Burning Star Press. And that is the first time that Endo has ever defeated Takeshida in a KOD Openweight title match. So this is sort of a historic result. Um, I thought the match was excellent. I went four and a half stars. Uh, yeah, you can complain it dragged in a little bit towards like the middle of the match. I know there's people that actually don't like the Endo and Takeshida matches. I generally do. I thought this was uh, really great, um, better than the last one that they had. And like, you know, even though I don't think it's at that level, I mean, this is obviously what DDT is positioned to be there. Okada versus Tanahashi or Misawa versus Kawada. And, you know, I think they you know, maybe not quite reached those heights, but they got pretty damn close. And I think this is definitely going to be in like my top five best matches of the year uh, thus far. Uh, what do you think, Paul? Yeah, no, I thought this was tremendous as well. Uh, I just love how long this felt like this felt like a really good kind of end of the story in a way like I, I don't think this was like the last match they've ever ha- will have against each other but this very much feels like in the same way once Okada finally beat Tanahashi uh, when Okada finally beat Tanahashi at the dome after he lost to him like that kind of like obviously they've had matches since then but they're different now because kind of that part of the story is over now. And I think that part of the Endo Takeshita story is over now as well. And they've really been building to this moment throughout the entire career of both men. 
because these two have been like just linked at the hip, like literally from the moment they've made their debut. Because back when uh, they had the DNA, which used to be their development kind of promotion, like these guys were the aces of DNA, and then they both went up to DDT proper and immediately became main eventers there as well. And like every single time they had like yeah, the KOD openweight title, Takeshita like came out on top, beat Endo every single time. And now finally Endo after everything, like after he had to like, basically like after he was a heel and now he has turned face and now he's finally been able to do it. Like essentially like the last mountain that was there for him to conquer in DDT has been conquered now and how he's just the undisputed ace of the promotion. Like, I think that was just some really beautiful, like, really, like, like how long has this been? Like, almost when did they make the debut? Like, basically almost a decade, I think. Yeah, like, like, it's all been almost 10 years now. Like, there's like a 10 year storyline concluding here. And I think that that was just really, really good. Like, I also didn't go like the full five on this. Like, I also went four and a half, but I think just the storytelling here and also just the commitment and to also like the ability to like, pull it off over like a 10 year period. Like, I think that's just great. Yeah. And what I, um, what I liked about the sort of the closing stretch of the matches, it really felt like, uh, Endo had to finally overcome Takeshita. He threw everything at him. Yeah. He did like two, like burning star or shooting star presses or whatever they're called type thing to get there, unloaded everything on him, and just felt like it was really a, a true overcoming of, of Takeshita finally. So, you know, I mean, it was a hell of a main event to cap off the show. And there were some videos, packages, and everything like that. And everyone in the back was celebrating. And, uh, oh, we forgot to talk about there were some anal explosions at the beginning of the show. Uh, do you have any thoughts oh, yeah. on those? I actually kind of skipped over <laughs> uh, that part because I was like, okay, this show is this file is six and a half hours. Uh, six and I watched a half this hours show live. Yeah, and so something. I was just like losing my mind at, because it went on <laughs> so long. It was like 20 yeah. minutes. To be fair, I kind of had that as well because I was like skipping through and I was like, okay, I probably need to just need to skip like five minutes. It's like, okay, no, we're still doing this. Okay, another five minutes. Okay, we're still doing this. I was like, wait, how is this still going? I've skipped like five minutes, like three times already and we're still doing this. Okay. <laughs> Oh, and the only other thing I'm uh, another thing we missed, uh, even though he lost, Nakazawa challenged uh, Mao for a universal title match, and that's happening on the 27th, March 27th at Cork and Hall. So this weekend, yeah, very curious. I don't, I'm never a big fan of people losing a match and then coming into challenge, like especially if it's, it's like it's DD the second title in the promotion. <laughs> I mean, it is, DD, but still, like, I mean, it is my that's even the, that's like far Nakazawa from like yeah. of egregious things that would drive me crazy in this company. That's like way at the bottom. No, and I mean, you kind of need to do it with Nakazawa while he's still in Japan, because I would assume that he's probably going to go back to Japan, at, back to the US relatively yeah, soon. For sure. But just, I'm just never a big fan of it, regardless which promotion does it. <laughs> and now we move on to Pro Wrestling Noah. Um, they had their Great Voyage 2022 in Fukuoka at the Fukuoka International Center with 697 fans. Paul, that's now two times in a row that the triple crown match has outdrawn the GHC heavyweight title match. Now caveat, yeah. caveat, both of those triple crown matches were in Tokyo. Everyone except for new Japan and to a lesser extent, dragon gate has issues drawing outside of Tokyo. But do you think that's a sign of anything? I mean, 
we all know that Kendra is like an established star, essentially. Um, whereas, well, I I think I'm I'm very confident in saying that Kendra Miyahara is a better draw than Fujita. I think that is somewhat undis like well, probably not undisputed, but I to me it's very clearly the case because well, I think the real Kendra is just be... the guy that you can just put on top of a promotion that people will buy tickets for. I mean, actually, like after the show as well, uh, not to like, because we're going to talk about the All Japan show later, but there was also a tweet from the All Japan show uh, afterwards from Kento where he showed off his uh, the line uh, for his autograph session and it just like went through the entire, uh, like... Yeah, I saw that. Like, it, was like, it was like one yeah. of those lines that had to like bend around everything. Yeah. That yeah, was huge. Um. And I mean, I think especially like the what is really concerning actually rather for me for this number from Noah is the fact that they just, that A, they lost about half the people compared to like when they ran this, uh, when they ran this building around this time last year with Muto versus Go Shiyazaki. Right. Yes, I forgot about that. And also very concerning is that they also lost 200 additional people compared to when they ran this mat, when they actually had Tanaka, so the same challenger in the same building against Nakajima in October, because that drew uh, 860-something uh, fans. So they lost nearly like 200 fans uh, just from October to now with the same challenger as well. Yep. So I think we can say that, that yeah, this was not good, you know, no. even though it's outside of Tokyo. Like it is, it was very much just like a one match card as well. But again, like if you just have like the first challenger for your new champion as well, and that's the first number that they draw out of the gate on like a uh, like a major holiday, like weekend as well. Like that's not a good sign, even if it is outside of Tokyo. But like again, we can compare it to like what they've drawn previously in the same building not that long ago, even with the same challenger. So. It's not a good sign at all. Mm -hmm. So the first match of the show was Masa Kitamiya, Yoshiki Inamura, and Kenya Okada defeating uh, Funky Express, Kintani, Mohamed Yone, and Akatoshi Saito in 10 minutes and 59 seconds with a Saito suplex from Kitamiya on Tani. Uh, 11 minutes. Um, you've seen this match before. We all have seen this match uh, several times before. But at least this time, the right team won and not the old guys. Yeah, I was about to say, did we see this match before? Because normally when I've seen this match, Kenya Okada gets pinned and I was fully expecting it to happen again. And then <laughs> he wasn't. And then, and then Kitamiya just uh, pinned Tani. That, that, that was actually curious that Tani is the one that got pinned out of the team there as well and not Yone or Saito. So, yeah, it's but, weird. Yeah. But I mean, hey, I mean, I'm just happy that like it wasn't Okada getting pinned or somehow Inamura getting pinned. But we'll get to maybe uh, stuff happening to Inamura on the, on the other Noah show. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And uh, the second match was uh, Congo, team of Congo, uh, Tadasuke, Hajime Ohara, and Neo defeated Howe, Alejandro, and Kai Fujimura in ten, uh, 13 minutes and 7 seconds with a lariat from Tadasuke on Fujimura, sort of the Howe and Alejandro and Fujimura feud with Congo continues. Uh, this was good, um, you know, um, just like second match from the top, lots of fast-paced action. And, well, of course, Fujimura is going to take the pin because he's basically a rookie. Yeah. No, I think really the big positive in Noah right now or the really big positive development this year in Noah so far has been the junior division. 
I think they've actually had like a lot of fun matches. I think everyone is kind of finding their place in the division right now. And everyone is kind of finding another gear when it comes to the in-ring as well, which is again, perfect timing as well, given that they have the Sumo Hall show coming up next month where they are also expected to draw as well. And I think they've set up like a lot of nice stuff. And like, this is kind of part of it as well, where like you just get these like really fun six man tag matches where just everyone just works perfectly to like what they can do and we just get these like really fun matches out of it for sure and it's like they're developing actual decent storylines out of these yep. unit shuffles and there's it's more than just the titles and everything like that right because often yeah. like have know. we have we gotten an announcement for either neo or how for a match that are they already booked for a match at the sumo hall show i'm trying i'm to not think. sure yet yeah, because I could definitely see them put them in another singles match, like somewhere on the on the undercard. They should. And, they should. Yeah, it's because sure. yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, they did. They've only had one, and again, that one went to a time limit draw. So you still need to blow that off, and it's still very clear that there's still a lot of heat there. So I think that would be like like a great match to put onto that show as well. Next match was Naomichi Marafuji defeating Yasutaka Yano in 11 minutes and one seconds with the, like a cranking headlock. This rocked. Uh, it was just an awesome, like, veteran versus young guy. Yano got a lot of shine in here. At one point, he uh, did a belly-to-belly -belly, suplex off the top rope and followed up with a frog splash for a near fall. And then, you know, I mean, Marafuji comes in and sort of puts his veteran foot down and just gets a submission with a headlock. But this was, like, the kind of, like, veteran versus young wrestler match that I, I love, and it was awesome. Yeah. It also seems pretty clear that, Noah sees a lot in Yano as well, just given how much they've already done with him and kind of where they kind of, the type of matches that they put him in. Obviously, he's still losing every single match. Well, not actually, that's not even true. Uh, but uh, like generally in 99% of the time, he's losing the match. Uh, but they are kind of putting him in there with like a Marufuji as well, uh, which I think shows that they see a lot of... Uh, Maybe Yano will move up the card faster than some other people. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, the thing with Yano, though, is, like, I know that Noah has some smaller heavyweights, but unless he's somehow able to grow another 10 centimeters, which I don't think he will be able to, he is a junior because he is very small. Uh, but I think they definitely see a lot in him, so I could definitely see them kind of push him relatively quickly up the card in the junior division once he gets out of his young boy stage. Now, I'm not sure who's taller, if it's Ken or Nakajima, that, but that's basically the yeah, like, heavyweight. That's the lower threshold. limit. Yeah. yeah. And he is, I think, Nakajima or Keno, like either one of them is like 175, 174. I think it's Nakajima that's 175. Yeah. And Yano is 166. Yeah. So he's like nearly 10 centimeters smaller than uh, Nakajima. So, yeah. That would unless he like really bolts up in like an Ishii style, like then maybe I could see him be a credible heavyweight. But really, in any other circumstances, like he's going to stay a junior throughout his entire career. And the next match was uh, Stinger Hayata and Yoshinaru Ogawa defeated uh, Los Perros de Mal de Japon, Ata and Super Crazy in nine minutes and fifty four seconds when Ata was disqualified. It was okay. I don't know. I don't love like see like. I'll say this, and they're not using. I mean, they put the title on Ada, who's great, but they're not using Ada very well. I think. <laughs> you know, I mean, this was fun. This was okay. I mean, it wasn't bad or anything, but just 
well, I mean, Super Crazy was in there. But I don't know. I don't really have much to say about this other than I'm beginning to get annoyed by these uh, Peros um, DQs. I mean, it's also, I found it kind of funny when Super Crazy was teasing a dive against Ogawa when Ogawa jumped over the guardrail. I'm like, this is just an absolute 0% chance Super Crazy was going to do a dive. <laughs> like, there's no way he was going to do a suicide dive onto Ogawa. It just, no. <laughs> it was like very funny when it was like, oh no, Ogawa just got out of the way. I was like, yeah, sure. <laughs> um, I, I guess maybe, uh, yeah, it is kind of weird because like, given then what happened on the Korokan show, like it's like Hayata and Eita is going to be the, it's going to be the match for Sumo Hall. Uh, I mean, as crazy, much as I should say, as, pain, as much as it pains me to say this, that is one of the biggest junior matches they can oh, do. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, Hayata is one of the biggest stars they have in the indie junior division. So it does make sense from that angle. And I mean, hey, uh, Ata also committed the grave sin of washing Hayata's hair, which I would assume hasn't happened for five years before then. So I could definitely see why he reacted uh, in the way he did later on the Kurokan show as well. And I guess maybe one of the positives we can take away from this is that we got plenty of opportunity to listen to Ata's theme as well as Hayata's theme, because Ata let his entire theme play and then like, let it start again throughout his entrance. And then in the post-match after Hyatt, uh, after Eight and Super Crazy got DQ'd, they played Hayata's music. And I mean, I've made my feelings about Hayata relatively clear, but his music, like I love his theme because yeah, that one just goes hard. And they played that one for like a long time as well because that entire post-match took a while and they just let it play throughout the entirety of it. Yeah, I mean, it was ridiculous with them, like basically getting very soapy. And <laughs> very, very soapy. Yeah. One of the more yeah, bizarre I, things I've seen, and especially in a Noah ring, but whatever. Like, if this was on a DDT show, I wouldn't probably barely mention it. But you know, Ata making his gimmick showering is is a choice. <laughs> oh God! And you know, and only uh, furthering bad stereotypes about wrestling in general. Yeah, I mean, but have we ever had like I don't know, like. The, the shampooing thing, like, I don't even, tr like, because there's probably something that I'm missing there, not speaking Japanese. I'm sure there's some reason for well, it, it, I guess. I had his hair does yeah. not look very clean <laughs> ever. No, no, that's what I mean. Yeah, that this was, like, the first time in, like, five yeah. years that, like, this shampoo has touched Hayata's hair. Yeah, uh, something's been lost in translation, but obviously they are driving Hayata very crazy, as we will get to. Um, the next match, on a much brighter note, was Kaito Kiyomiya and Deki and Naba defeating Daisuke Harada and Junta Miyawaki in 17 minutes and 33 seconds, which was listed as a stretch plum style face lock from Kiyomiya, although I always thought it was a cross-face chicken wing, and he made uh, Miyawaki submit. Uh, this was great. Like, mm -hmm. lots of back-and-forth action. Everyone on, the, on these teams are great. And, like, Kiyomiya's in the sort of phase of his career where... I think he's one of the 10 best wrestlers in the world, but not only that, he's going out on every show, even though it's like an innovation shows and working really hard. Right. I mean, yeah. he's only 25 years old. By the time he's like 31, 32, he'll probably start cutting it out like Okada did or Kazuchiko Okada, I should say, because there's many Okadas out there now. Um, but it's just a pleasure to watch him on the undercard these days. He's the best part of the no undercards when he's not in the main events. Yeah, no, I think it's tremendous. I would, I would actually say that, uh, I would say this was the second best match on the show. You can make an argument that it was the best match on the show. Uh, I think all four men just work really, really hard. Uh, I mean, the 
result was never really like it was kind of a foregone conclusion but i think everyone just kind of went in there and just like you could feel that all four men were like really happy to work with each other and just really kind of everyone just wanted to show uh, what they can do as well and i am kind of curious what they're going to do with kaito going forward because he feels a little bit lost in the shuffle still now like i could definitely see them make him like a reg him and inaba regular team going forward but again well, they're still teaming just, after the tag title tournament so yeah. i kind of figure that's the way it is yeah but i mean like cuz he can't really put them into con in contention for the tag titles anytime soon because they just lost in the finals so yeah you, so you, are you just kind of going to have them kind of work these like undercut style under, undercut tag matches for a couple of months before you put them in title contention again or yeah, i'm just really curious like cuz it just seems like a little bit of a waste of kaito or if you kind of interrupt the tag team for a little bit to have kaito go after a singles title because we still don't have a challenger for the national title although i have some fears on who the challenger for the national title at sumo hall might be but we'll get to that later the next match on go shiozaki's rise back up the card he defeated masaki mochizuki in 16 minutes and 49 seconds with the going lariat i thought this was probably this was my favorite match of the show actually um, it was awesome. I mean, look at who's in the ring. And Mochizuki also took an incredible sell of that lariat at the end of the match. And just, you know, back and forth action and, like, lots of stiff kicks and chops. And, you know, I mean, imagine a match between these two. And this was maybe not quite as balls out as they would have gone if they were, um, like, in the main event spot or something for a title. But it was pretty close, and I cannot complain at all. Yeah, no. I mean, this was also my favorite match on the show. It was just kind of close between this one and the previous match. Uh, but yeah, as you said, like it was clear that they were somewhat holding back a little bit as well uh, because it was just kind of the... And Ghost got a lot of, of singles match. matches he's got to get through. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, I mean, like just looking, like Go is having a hell of a year as well. Like for me, it's right now in terms of like who is like the wrestler of the year. For me, it's like for me, the two leading candidates are Kazuchika Okada and Go Shiozaki at this stage right now. Because to be fair, they're also the people that have gotten the most opportunities to just go in there and have amazing singles matches. But every single time, they deliver. And this was another example of Go just building on his uh, Wrestler of the Year case. And uh, yeah, just this match was exactly what you would expect of it when you see it on the card. All right, we just got cut off there with the recording issue, but so we move on to the next match for the GHC Junior Heavyweight Tag Team title. Atsushi Kotoge and Yohei defeated Nosawa, Rangai, and Kotaro Suzuki in 23 minutes and 6 seconds with just a drop kick from Yohei that uh, managed to pin Nosawa, although it was an awesome drop kick right to uh, Nosawa's head. It would look like if it was like actually hit you in real life, it would probably knock you out. Um, I actually like this match. Um, I'm not going to like go like match of the night, maybe third best match on the show. But like, you know, I thought for Suzuki did all the heavy lifting for his team and he was great with uh, Katoge and Yoke and there was some good action in there. So, you know, I thought it, basically a 23 minute match with Nosawa ex expectations exceeded. Yep. This was definitely one of the better uh junior heavyweight tag title matches uh that i've seen i think they've done a really good job with yohei so far this year with him 
after he turned babyface. He's just really good as this undercard, undercard, uh, underdog babyface in these title matches. Just the guy taking the heat, and then Kotoge comes in and uh, gets the hot tag and everything. And then, but then they're still giving Yohei the win in these matches as well to build him up as a credible champion. I think they've done a really, really nice job of that. And obviously, Suzuki rules, but I think, yeah, as I said, like Nosawa really held his own in this match. Like it really felt like he wanted to work hard in this match, which isn't really normally the case. And he just really like managed to like make this match work really, really well. And yeah, as I said, like it definitely exceeded my expectations as well. And it just it was a lot of fun. And I'm gonna be curious on who is going to challenge Kotoga and Yohei at the uh, Sumo Holtra now. Because whoever it is, I think they're actually going to have a really, really fun match. Yeah, for sure. Um, like some of the matches for the sumo, Junior Sumo Hall show, or I guess I should call it an innovation show, are, are coming out. But the big ones haven't been announced yet. But I would assume maybe after uh, the Corican Hall show that's going to happen as uh, probably soon as we record, but we're not going to be able to cover on this episode. Uh, mm -hmm. We'll probably get some more match announcements for both Sumo Hall shows. So after that, we had... Uh, Sugera Gun, uh, Takashi Sugera, Hideki Suzuki, Kazushi Sakuraba, and Kendo Kashin defeated Kongo, Keno, Katsuhiko Nakajima, Masakatsu Funaki, and Manabu Soya in 18:22 when a Suzuki pinned Soya after with a European clutch hold. Uh, this was pretty good, um, uh, but it suffered from some Kashin nonsense, including trying to throw Funaki off the balcony. Um, but I mean, other than that, like Suzuki looked great and all the other guys were just kicking the shit out of each other. So, you know, um, other than some of the caution stuff, it was like what you would expect between these t two teams. Yeah. So remember when I said that I was, that I'm afraid that I know who's going to be the challenger for the national title at the Sumo Hall show. I think it's going to be Kendo Kashin. Uh, and oh, now it makes more yes. sense why he went to a draw with Tanaka. Because they didn't all you want need to challenge for a title now and know is to have a time limit draw. Yeah, evidently so. Because like it was very because he also made an announcement that he wants to bring Kashin, or that he brings Fun that he wants to like get Funaki out of Congo. Or that he wants to bring him back, like I think it was the way he phrased it. So, like, it's very clear that they're building up something there between Kashin and Funaki. And, I mean, hey, maybe it's just a singles match between them and the leader to the Sumo Hall show, but I have a feeling that it's going to be a national title match between Kendo Kashin and Funaki, which is, given the potential other matchup that you could have with Funaki at the Sumo Hall show, it's just, that's just, I don't know, a very uninspiring option, to be honest, and I have kind of no interest in seeing that. I should also remind everyone that uh, reports are that Kendo Kashin has a backstage role in the company. Yeah, so he's booking himself for the title match. That's cool. It's, yeah. And I mean, maybe, like, we, we have no confirmation on that yet, right. and maybe I'm overreacting on this, but, like, if that is the, if that ends up being the route that they're going, that just, yeah, that doesn't really fancy, like, I don't really have any interest in watching that match. And the main event for the GHC heavyweight title. The champion Kazuyuki Fujita defeated Masato Tanaka in 31 minutes and 28 seconds with a power bomb to make his first successful defense. There was a good match in here somewhere. Mm -hmm. I, I like the amateur wrestling stuff to start off, 
but then it became a long slog through the middle where they were putting each other in like working each other's legs over his long figure four and stuff like that. And the last couple of minutes were great because there was just a bunch of headbutts that were kind of scary because the problem with the Shibata headbutt that ended, well, temporarily ended his career and nearly killed him was that he was dehydrated because they were going so long. Right. Yeah. And that's what made his brain. So like, you know, liable to be bruised and bleeding. Right. And so these guys were headbutting themselves at like, you know, 28 minutes in and they were all sweaty and everything like that. And they'd lost a lot of, um, you know, hydration and everything. Now I'm not the safety police generally, but if you're going that long and bringing up the hard headbutts, that's slightly worrying even for me. Yeah, true. But I, I guess for these guys, I'm just like, yeah, sure. Why not? I mean, at this point, Masato Tanaka's brain, like if he still somehow hasn't gotten brain damage over the years from all of the things he's done, like then I don't think he's going to get it here. <laughs> like I think he's, he's just built different. And then Fujita, I mean, he's, he's literally the hardhead. So I, I wasn't really concerned there, even with the length of the match. And yeah, as you said, there was a good match in there somewhere, but like you probably need to cut out like 20 minutes from the match. Like just legit, you just cut out the entire middle part. Like you keep like the stare down at, at the beginning and like the amateur wrestling at the start. And then you go straight into throwing shoot headbutts from there. Because that's really all I wanted from this match. Like in the, like I was talking about it uh, on the last show as well, that I was actually excited for this match. Because what I expected was, again, like what they did at the end. That's kind of what I hoped the entire match would be. And then they just decided to just have this like middle portion just to have like, like it felt that they were going long just for the sake of going long. Because they wanted to make it a 30 minute drama, main event. Yeah. Which was a bad idea. Tight 15 yeah. would have been amazing. Yeah. I mean, and that's really where Fujita ex like excels as well. Like Fujita has never been a guy that is good at going long. Like neither has Tanaka. Like they're both really good at having these like really intense short matches. And then for some reason they're just like, okay, yeah, we know we're good at that. And we can do that at the end, but how about we do just do this like really boring, slow middle? And it just was just a baffling decision to me. Yeah, like I said, like if they had cut out like 20 minutes in the middle, like I actually would have ended up really liking this match. But like as it stands, I just was like just very disappointed with this match and uh because masato tanaka is almost 50 years old uh he did not he wasn't made to look like a big a geek as nakajima was <laughs> um he got to kick out he kicked out of a punt kick didn't he yeah and then which, I, which and never then, really happens <laughs> and then did not, like arrogantly pull him up off the mat <laughs> no no yeah for some reason he didn't do that with tanaka yeah so uh, that's the um, great voyage in uh, Fukuoka for you. I mean, good show except for the main. Well, I mean, the main event's not like horrible or anything, but the show can seem a little like I sat down and when I watch it, it felt longer. This show, watching it, felt longer than both Judgment and um, Grand Princess, which was also five hours. Yeah. No, I, I will definitely say that like out of the four shows that we're going to cover today. Uh, like it wasn't a bad show, but this was the worst out of the four. Yeah, I would say so. And so we move on to uh, the show that happened, well, I guess now yesterday. Uh, Noah, just fine. 
got to love that these. That was just I, fine. No, if they draw less than four, let's say draw around 400 people just fine in Hall. With an exclamation mark as well. <laughs> um, yeah, 398. I mean, I don't know what to make of this because it's in the middle of the week. Hmm. It's not a holiday. And you're, you're doing back-to-back Corkins. But so I mean, I we, we, we kind of saw what they drew for the Ghost Challenge series not yeah. that long ago. And they drew way more than that for all of those. They're, they're getting into New Japan territory of killing Corkin, or yeah. they've already haven't done it. And again, um, we, we, we can compare, can't compare those because all of those, like the big draw for all of those shows was having a Ghost Shiozaki match on them. Yeah, exactly. Um, which makes me wonder if... <laughs> Well, we'll get to that after the main event. Uh, so first match, Tadasuke defeated Kai Fujimura in six minutes and 50 seconds with the Fuyuki special. Um, hey, this was fun. Uh, mm-hmm. Tadasuke just beating up a young guy is really good way to open the show. You know, I mean, you know, nothing thrilling or reinventing the wheel, or, but just him roughing him up. Fujimura up was great, I thought. Yeah, I mean, as I talked uh, before is really like we see a lot of people in the Noah Junior division taking another step and Tadasuke for me is like the prime example of that because I was not really a big fan of him previously but he has just become like a really fun like 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 junior bruiser who just goes in there and just beats someone up and he's become really really good at that and you showed that off here too in the hobby it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks we hype ourselves up thinking, ah, maybe I can pull a Ken Griffey Jr. rookie card. But with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now. Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view of all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now, when I buy Slab Packs at Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. I was able to open an Arena Club slab pack, and and I'll be honest, it was a lot better than what you normally do. Say you go to a card show, and there's a random innocuous brown bag of cards, and yeah, you can open it, and look, it's going to be junk. You're, you, you know what I mean? Like, you know what you're probably going to get in those. Maybe you find that fun, and sometimes I do. Sometimes I like just opening up cards and saying, oh, hey, look at some random cards or whatever. But if you're really in this game to to find value and find particular cards, it sucks to have to buy these mystery packs, and it ends up being, you know, almost nothing. You know, nothing of value. Not with Arena Club. You can display, again, of all available cards, hit rates, grading. So you know that when you're opening up the slab pack, you are going to get something valuable. You are getting something good. And Arena Club, in addition to having those great slab packs we just talked about, is also a marketplace for card collecting, buying, trading, selling, displaying, all that sort of stuff. But those Arena Club slab packs, man, they are revolutionizing the repack game with transparency. After your polls are revealed, they'll immediately be placed in your vault for safekeeping or trading and selling, and you can have them officially graded by Arena Club as well. So again, setting these things off, it's going to be officially graded by Arena Club. And the Arena Club grading process is accurate, fast, and transparent with full grade rationale provided and explanation of how your card was scored. So whether you're buying, selling, trading, or displaying, Arena Club is the card collecting platform that you have to check out. So right now, I've got a special offer here for Voices of Wrestling Network listeners. You can get 10% off of your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. Again, that's arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. Now, that's a crazy offer. That's 10% off 
a $400 slab pack. $40 off right there. 10% off your first purchase. No matter what that purchase is, 10% off. Again, that's arenaclub.com slash VOW net. Arenaclub.com slash VOW net for 10% off your first purchase on Arena Club. And we thank them for sponsoring the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. What's going on, guys? This is Rich from the Flagship Podcast here on the Voice of Wrestling Podcast Network. If I could have a moment of your time, I'd like to tell you about one of our sponsors, Eufy Video Lock. Eufy Video Lock is a smart lock, a 2K camera, and a doorbell, all three-in-one, offering you triple security. So you can have everything in one device rather than installing many pieces on your front door. But it's not just for security. Eufy Video Lock is also for convenience. No more concerns about losing keys, and you can assign passwords to your family members and see them coming back home via the integrated cameras. Some other great features we love about the Eufy Video Lock is it is easy to install and set up with just a Phillips screwdriver, no drilling required, keyless entry, no more fumbling for keys when your hands are full. You never have to worry about kids losing keys or passing among renters. You also have 0.3 second, 0.3 second fingerprint recognition and one second unlocking again 0.3 seconds it's going to recognize your fingerprints and in one second it's going to unlock and with the ai self-learning chip embedded the more you use it the more accurate it will be also no battery anxiety you have a rechargeable battery in there that could last around four months and you will get a low battery notification before it runs out uh, passcode unlocking a remote control with the 2k clear sight see who's at your door and control from anywhere through the Eufy app. With enhanced night vision, you can have optimized view even in the evening. You can also secure your package delivery by view and two-way audio. And then best of all, no monthly fee. A bunch of other brands out there are going to charge you a monthly fee. You have your recordings locally and you never have to pay for storage. Customer service, Eufy's got you handled as well. They are on standby for you 24-7 so you can enjoy a worry-free experience with an 18-month warranty all backed by their professional customer service team. Contact them anytime by telephone, email, or live chat. Personally, as a homeowner, I love my Eufy video lock. I have the ability to see what's going on when I'm not home, when packages have has arrived, and, and really the thing I love the most about it, the ease of being able to lock and unlock my doors without having to fumble with my keys and reach in my pocket or wait, no, crap, they're in my backpack, all that sort of stuff. All this is happening while my dogs are barking at me. You know what? Not anymore with the Eufy video lock. I touch it. 0.3 second fingerprint recognition, one second doors unlocked much much easier so if you want to jump on board with eufy video lock search eufy video lock that is e u f y video lock again that's eufy video lock e u f y video lock or visit eufyofficial.com slash video lock to see how you can gain complete control of your door Second match, uh, Funky Express, King Tani, and Muhammad Yone defeated Masaki Mochizuki and Kinya Okada in 10 minutes and 37 seconds with uh, the Funky Press uh, from Tani on Okada. Of course, Okada gets pinned. I like this match, mm-hmm. but, you know, I mean, Mochizuki could knock out Yone or something with a high kick. I don't know. Look, Tani had to get his heat back after he got beaten on the previous show, so obviously it has to beat Okada. It is just mind-boggling how few jobs Yone does, really, if you think about it. And plus where his position was in the company. Like, you know, 
he's I feel like Saito uh, Akatoshi Saito does more jobs than Yone, even though Saito was higher on the card in their prime. Yeah, because Yone has never really exceeded like mid card status, and then he's somehow been tag that he's, a couple of times. Yeah, but like again, like for some reason, like. Once he like started getting into undercards, he was like, "Yeah, he's like literally the king of undercards." Where he just never ever gets pinned. Uh, match number three: Daisuke Harada, Alejandro, and Junta Miyawaki went to a no contest against Nosawa Rongai, Kotaro Suzuki, and Super Crazy of Los Perros del Mal de Japón in ten minutes and thirty-three seconds. When three masked men entered the ring. And beat up uh, Harada's team, and then it was funny just watching like uh, Paris Mal just like walk away, like being like, "Oh, we don't care. Uh, let's get out of here." And the three mystery men took off their masks to reveal, reveal Shun Skywalker, SB Kento, and Hio of Zebrats of Dragon Gate, and that was awesome. Yeah, I popped very loudly uh, when they unmasked themselves because, like, they they actually had trouble keeping their masks on. Uh... At first, like they, like they were like, could you? So I didn't watch this live, and, and, but like, I could... caught some glimpses of like, like I saw like the shirt, and I was like, wait, is is that the that looks like the Zebrats shirt a little? Nah. And then like saw like Shun Skywalkers like, like the mask he had over yeah, his normal mask, like like move a little. It's like, wait a minute, that mask looks familiar. And then they take off the mask, and like, oh, holy shit, it is Zebrats. <laughs> and these are like three of my favorites. Like like I love Dragon Gate and. Like Zebrats and like Shun Skywalker is like he's oh, like obviously he's not gonna take the same like character work that he does in Dragon Gate with him to Noah because it doesn't really make sense within the story there. But like the character work that he currently does in Dragon Gate, like it's the best character work in wrestling at the moment, and he is the best character in wrestling at the moment. So I'm really curious to see what he does in Noah, and Sp Kento is just one of the. Um, best young talents in all of Japan in the entire world right now like he's going to be a main eventer and he's going to be like a legend in Dragon Gate when everything is said and done so I'm really really looking forward to their match uh, on the Junior Sumo on the N Innovation Sumo Hall show like I think they're going to be tremendous and I have a feeling that this is just going to be a one-off but I would really love if they would actually stick around a little bit longer like the way Ata has as well Right, and so the Sumo Hall match will be uh, those three from Zebrats versus Harada's team with uh, Alejandro and Miyawaki. Mm-hmm. I mean, I would have liked it if Harada had been in the in the junior title match, but I can't really complain about him being in, in this match because that very much has the potential of stealing the show. Absolutely. And I thought the match was actually pretty good while it lasted. Yep. No, yeah, oh, no, no, definitely, no, 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 like, it's like another thing where I'm like, oh, yeah, this is like one of the best, like, Noah, like, junior army teams that they could put together. I think this is also like a really big spot for uh, Miyawaki as well to show what he can do and Alejandro as well. So, mm-hmm. yeah, no, I'm really excited about that match. And uh, I'm not sure if at this point in the show was the other matches for the uh, an innovation sumo hall show also announced at this point no we hadn't gotten the announcement yet for uh hayata and uh against ata because that came after the ata versus yohei match okay so we'll just go yeah. next then um 
we had Kaito Kiyomiya and Hayata defeated Yoshinari Ogawa and Yasutaku Yano uh, in 14 minutes and 17 seconds when uh, Kiyomiya used a drop kick to pin Yano. So that's two straight shows with a match ending with a drop kick, which is kind of cool. Again, another awesome drop kick from Kiyomiya. Uh, this rocked. I mean, Kiyomiya and Ogawa rock, always kick ass together. Uh, Hayata was inoffensive. Yano is obviously great, as we talked about. He worked amazingly with Kiyomiya. And mm-hmm. Kiyomiya, as I said before, is just working so hard in all of these undercard matches. Like, he doesn't have bad undercard matches. Yeah, no, I really I really like Kiyomiya just using a dropkick because it's just like, yeah, I don't need my finisher to beat this young boy. I'm just going to dropkick him and pin him because I'm just better than him. Like, I think that was some really cool shit. Uh, yeah, otherwise, uh, it was a really good, fun match. Uh what I am actually kind of curious about is because Yano keeps getting put in matches with like Stinger people where like obviously his current look doesn't fit with Stinger at all. But I am kind of curious if they are going to put him uh, into Stinger uh, at some point because he just keeps tagging with Stinger people all the time. Uh, it would not shock me, I would assume so. Um, like, I guess that's the sort of big proof that you've graduated once you actually get thrown into a uh, a unit that's not the sort of the home team, right? Yeah, but he would have to drastically change his look, though, because his current look doesn't fit in with them at all. <laughs> not, necess- not nearly sleazy enough. Yeah, like, he needs to, like, grow out his hair, and obviously, like, obviously the baby blue tights need to go, so... Uh, but yeah, like it is just curious that it's just like pretty much every show, like he, he is in a match with Stinger. Yeah. So after that, we had Segura Gun, uh, Takashi Segura, Hideki Suzuki, and oh, no, sorry, it wasn't all Segura Gun because Masato Tanaka was teaming with them and he doesn't currently have a unit since M's Alliance disbanded and they defeated. Uh, Masakitamiya, Deki Inaba, and Yoshiki Inamura in 15 minutes and 34 seconds when Suzuki used the royal uh, stretch on Inamura for the submission. <laughs> as I roll my eyes as I say that, um, <laughs> this was again another great match for the questionable finish. Um, you know, I mean, look at all six guys in this. Um, I thought the Hideki looked really good here too. Uh, just, you know, another, oh, well, uh, someone's got to take a fall, so it's going to be Inamura. Yeah, no, I mean, I was not surprised. Like, when I saw them come out, I was like, okay. Well, to be fair, I actually expected Inaba to be the one that gets beat here. But, yeah, at the moment, Suzuki locked in a stretch on Yamura. It's like, oh, yeah. See, I, I thought Kidam, Kidami, or no, sorry, Kidamita and um, uh, Inamura would be challenging for the GHC tag titles. Yeah, that I mean, I was feeling it, but then I'm like, no, because <laughs> yeah, I was just looking no. at the other team. I was like, oh, okay, no, then they're, they're not gonna win. And yeah, I mean, that's still out in the open. Who's gonna challenge for the tag titles at Sumo Hall as well? And I mean, I guess it could still be Kitamiya and Inamura, but yeah, they would have to beat Segura and Suzuki at some point or in a uh, in a six man tag to like set it up properly. But I mean, now that Suzuki has just straight straight up ta- tapped out in a mirror. Like, I don't know. That's a bit of a I'm getting I'm getting panicky that like somehow Mudo returns at Sumo Hall. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe, but still, like, yeah. he has a fucked up hip. Yeah, I just... So, but like, that, that is still a bit of a stretch. He's, but... As much as he's the politician, you got to give him credit. Yeah. He will try to power through whatever injuries he has. Unlike, say, 
so many other wrestlers that are like, oh, I'm going to vacate my title and uh, I can't work. So whatever. So the next match after that was Aita uh, and uh, Yohei went to a no contest in 10 minutes and 43 seconds when Hayata interfered. Um, I don't know. I thought the match was just okay. There was a lot of brawling up to that point. But again, it's just mm -hmm. the point of getting the angle across. What do you think of the match? Yeah, I mean, the match was fine. I mean, it was a bit inconsequential. Like, I also had a feeling that it wasn't really going anywhere or building to anything, and that made a lot of sense when then Hayata attacked and just made it a no contest. And I, I really, really liked the uh, the post-match angle where Hayata drew... Apparently, it is just uh, equal revenge that if you get your hair shampooed, that you just bust open the other the person that shampooed your hair and just make them bleed all over the, the mat and make them bleed on the title like he was really vicious here yeah that i mean i ate a blood really well so that really did make an impact yeah. and um, also like i said like hi like the way hyatt did it as well like when he, when he actually like just like rubbed the title uh like when he just rubbed like Ata's bloody forehead on the title and just held up the the blood cover title and everything. So I think they did about as well as they could to like set up the Ata versus Hayata match. And I'm gonna be curious on how that match actually goes. And if that is, I mean, I would assume that is the main event of the Sumo Hall show. Yes, I would assume so too. Um, just my only beef even though the, the angle was cool. It's like, this is the second, like no contest on the show. And the third in two shows, it's becoming a bit of a crutch. And I fear much like the, uh, the time limit drawn stardom, <laughs> it just so starts to gain more and more momentum. And then, so what happens once, like once a tour becomes twice a tour becomes multiple times a tour becomes every other show. So, I don't know. That's just something to watch out for that I'm concerned about. Yeah, because it is just an easy excuse for a booker to like get out of having to book a finish. Uh, so, I mean, because it could have very easily also just have Ata beat Yohei and then just Hayata comes out after the match and uh, attacks Ata. Yeah. But I guess they didn't want to do that because Yohei is a champion. But again, in that case, don't book the match. Yep. Put him against someone else. Yeah. I mean, there's enough juniors on there that you can have Ata just beat in a, uh, in a non-title match and then have a high attack post-match. But, yeah, I mean, for now, I'm not too concerned as it is. But, yeah, as you said, like, if that becomes a trend, then definitely I'm not going to be a big fan of that. The next match saw the very random team of Kazuyuki Fujita, Naomichi Marafuji, Sushi Katoge, and Hao defeating the Congo team of Keno Manabusoya, Hajime Ohara and Neo in 1602 with a power bomb from Fujita on Neo. Uh, this is a pretty good match, actually. I thought, um, you know, uh, although I will say, kind of starting to feel like an afterthought in all of this. Yeah, I'm not sure what it's doing. Like, I do expect there's still going to be some sort of angle happening with Congo at some point, but Keno also hasn't done anything in a while now. Like. He hasn't really done anything since he beat you Go uh, in the Go Challenge series. And then, yeah, he has felt like a bit of an afterthought. But I think they're kind of holding off on doing anything with him until they do the big Congo angle, whenever that happens. I would assume now that it happens. I don't think it happens before the Sumo Hall show now. I would expect it to happen at the Sumo Hall show. And then, because I expect him to get kicked out of Congo 
and then maybe we see like a full rebrand of Congo afterwards as well, because I do expect that there is kind of a bit of a like unit shuffle coming up. For if the anyone should get now. kicked out of Congo, it should be Nakajima. He's lost the GHC title and he loses again in the main event here. Yeah, no, but I think that's kind of the, the setup as well. Because to me, like, I don't know what do you really do with... Because it makes more sense for me to have Kano get kicked out of Congo because for me, it's just kind of what this whole thing of Nakajima joining Congo has been building up right, to. Right, and that's what everyone that is eventually, doing. Yeah. That, what I could definitely see is like that Kano will sell it as that he, like, you know, like the classical thing that like Dragon Gate does like all the time as well when they do a turn is where Kano wants to kick Nakajima out of Congo, but then it's the rest of Congo that turns on, Naka, uh, on Kano instead. Right. Nakajima takes over. So I could very much see them like they like lose a match at Sumo Hall and then Kano afterwards like wants to kick out Nakajima and gets turned on. And then I could see a full rebrand of Congo as well because it doesn't really make sense of keeping them as Congo without Kano because like that's the whole reason why they are the faction that they are. And I could see like in general be like a big reshuffle coming for the heavyweight uh, factions because MC Alliance has broken up and we didn't mention it before, but like there was some like there's some dissension within Seguragon as well between uh, between Suzuki and um, and uh, what's his face? Why am I blanking on his name again? Sakuraba. Yeah, Sakuraba. Where like Sakuraba was in this weird like. Like he was their ring boy during their match and was like holding open the ropes for them. So that's very clear. Like there's some sort of like there's some sort of like dissension going on there as well. So I could just see Noah just kind of doing a bit of a reset after Sumo Hall and just shuffle people into new units. And yeah. So and I think Keno is kind of going to be the linchpin of that whole movement happening. And did you have any other thoughts on the match? Yeah, the match was fine. Like, I think Noah is always really, really good at doing these kind of multi-man, semi-main matches. Everyone always works hard in these. And, uh, yeah, especially Congo is like, obviously, like, more often than not, Congo is in this lot as well. And they always succeed at doing that as well. So it was just really fun. I mean, but as you said, kind of Fujita, Marufuji, Kotoga, and Howe, that's just a very, like, fire pro random kind of team as well. There was some dissension tease between Fujita and Marufuji as well, which... I actually kind of somewhat expected it that that becomes the main event for Sumo Hall, but then it they announced a different match. So now I'm curious what that means for the title match at Sumo Hall. Yeah, so that will take us into the main event of uh, Goshi Ozaki defeating Kazuhiko Nakajima in 17 minutes and 20 seconds with the Golden Lariat. This was a very good match. Um, not quite as good as their uh, January 1st uh, main event, uh, but, I mean, it's just a Corican main event. I thought um, this had a really strong closing stretch. It was really cool when, like, you know, Shizaku was fighting back with the Lariats and that when Nakajima went for that high kick and then um, and then go Lariat it. But it just felt like the final Lariat and the pin just felt like Nakajima just sort of, like, fell over and just, you know, lost compared to mm -hmm. sort of what the kind of shit kicking that we usually see Nakajima get. So he looked a little, a little weak on the finish, but that just might be me. Yeah. I was a little bit disappointed. Like it was a really good match, but I was disappointed, but that's kind of, it was a victim of high expectations essentially. Cause obviously previously when these two have gone in there, it has been a match of the year contender every single time. And it just wasn't this time around. But 
yeah, still it was a really, really good match. But as I said, I kind of was surprised at the finish. I didn't expect it to come there. Like, because, yeah, Go just hit his lariat and pinned Nakajima kind of unceremoniously as well. Um, yeah, I mean, it makes sense that he gets like a strong win if he challenges for the title. But I don't know, like, it felt like a little too easy in a way as well. But I guess Nakajima, like, he will have other stuff to do as well. And then, yeah, I don't know. I don't really know what else to say about this match because it was just, it was a Chiyosaki versus Nakajima match, just a lesser version of the match that they normally have. All right. And so we had some announcements on this show. We've got foreigners returning to uh, Noah. Um, so we had announced, and then, uh, so the first thing will be a three-way match on the End Innovation Show, Dragon Bane versus Alpha Wolf, Wolf who's the foreigner, former Canis Lupus, versus Ninja Mac. Uh, I would assume that's just going to be a crazy spot fest. Also announced uh, Chris, Ridgway, Chris Ridgway is coming back to Noah. He cut a very unenthusiastic promo. <laughs> His mic skills are not very good. Really, I was like coming away from that. I was like, oh, well, oh, man, Chris, uh, I'm that's... very excited to come back to Noah. Thank you, fans. Yeah, and... I mean, to be fair, it is kind of hard to like cut a like fiery promo in what I assume was his living room. <laughs> but yeah, that was that was not like great. But I'm happy to see Rich Ray back in Noah. Like he's been really, really good there, and he's gonna uh, he's going to be joining Stinger as well. Right. And also announced on the heavyweight side, Rene Dupree and El Hijo del Dr. Wagner Jr. will be there on the uh, April 30th show. Former GAC tag. <laughs> yeah, former. Uh, yeah, what did they call uh, Dupree? Something Napoleon? Like. Yeah, something Psycho uh, Napoleon or something. I don't Psycho know. Napoleon. Yeah, like I, everyone, I don't think got, every, everyone got a nickname except for yeah. Chris Ridgeway. It was just like, yeah, here's everyone's fancy new nickname, and then Chris and Chris Ridgeway. <laughs> Paul, I gotta ask you with this announcement. I, most most of these got like the Dupree and El Hero, Do, Dr. Wagner Jr. are returning and former tag champs, but I, I think when they left, Noah had just been purchased by um, Cyber. Uh, fight or cyber agent, right? I think that was around that time, right? Yeah, yeah. And if you can get foreigners back, are you a little surprised that Noah hasn't been a little more aggressive in 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 grabbing new foreigners with the money that they now have? Yeah, I mean, the question still is like, I would because the booking hasn't really. Because I don't think Ninja Mac is going to be very expensive, right? No, <laughs> no, he's in, he's a new one, right? No, I mean, I think that was the thing for me is. The, because the booking hasn't changed. So it's still the same person kind of bringing in this front talent. So I think it makes sense for them to go with kind of people that they know, to go with established kind of people that they've brought in before and that they've liked. And then yeah, they add like one new person to it. That makes some sense for me as well. And I mean, we don't really know like how it goes right now with getting people visas. So it might just be that it is easier to get people visas that have had them before as well. So I can get it from that point of view where they might want to prefer to bring in people that they know that they can get the visa for them. Um, yeah, I mean, it isn't really the most exciting crop of foreigners, but I'm just happy to like see all of these guys come back to uh, to Noah. And I think because they can also like really like help freshen things up as well. Like I just hope that, uh, that Alpha Wolf and Dragon Bane 
that they are going to be allowed to like do matches other than just wrestle each other because in their previous Noah tour, that's pretty much all they did with like very few oh, exceptions. Right. Yeah. I remember that. Yeah. So I, I hope that they get integrated a lot more into the promotion uh, this time around. Because I could also see that Freeway Wedge versus Ninja Mac essentially just like Ninja Mac just like like he wrestles in the match for like the first five minutes and then he just gets tossed to the outside. And then those two guys are just going to have like their like typical like Mexico singles match that they always have with each other. So yeah, like I just hope that they are just like integrated better this time around. Like I don't have any concerns for that for Ridgeway because Ridgeway is just a regular part of the promotion and was uh, before he couldn't come back because of Corona. Like, I think he's actually a tremendous addition to Stinger. Like he just instantly becomes the second best worker in the, uh, in the faction by like a mile. Like, I really hope that they pair him up with Ogawa because I actually that, I think I might want to have that be the, the junior tag title match at Sumo Hall is Ogawa and Ridgeway versus Yohei and Kotoga because that could be tremendous. Oh, that would be great. And another thing I was thinking about the foreigner front, all of like a lot of the good foreigners are a lot of the good American, like indie workers, not signed to AEW or WWE or whatever. They're in like the new Japan strong orbit. Yeah. And so they might not be jumping to go to Noah or anything like that. And there's not a lot. Once you get past the new Japan strong indie guys, there's not a lot out there. So no. Yeah. And I don't think Noah has done any scouting in Europe because I think there's actually quite a few people in, Europe that you could bring in that would be like nice additions but I don't think Noah has actually ever looked at that like really like the only promotion the only Japanese promotion that has kind of looked at well actually no DDT has done it as well DDT and Big Japan have done it to some degree and then all Japan has obviously done it but I don't think Noah has actually ever really looked at Europe except for Ridgeway as like a place for like to bring people in I mean, maybe they can get some help from Ridgeway to like that. He maybe like goes around, scouts some guys for them to bring in going forward. All right. So that's Noah and they have another show coming up that will, uh, well, the show will have already happened by the time you hear this. And that's headlined by Hideki Suzuki versus Masakatsu Funaki. And I would assume that Funaki retains, uh, given that they <laughs> were teasing a Kendo Kashin match. Yeah, no, I, I fully expect it as well. I could see them make uh, Suzuki a double champion, but I wouldn't necessarily expect it. So yeah, I would also very much expect Funaki to retain and then Ken Nakashin comes out and challenges. Or it's just a no contest. <laughs> oh, Might be that too. Possible. Or time limit. Oh no, they're not going to go 60. Funaki can't go 60. No, um, Funaki's going to die. Like Hideki can go 60, but Hideki actually looks in really great shape. I don't think we've talked about that as well. Like, I think Hideki, like, ever since he's come back to Noah, like, I think he looks, like, uh, in really, really good shape He now. got some good uh, training tips at the performance center. At the performance center. I mean, that's really the one good thing. Like, that's the one good thing about the performance center is that they're really good at giving people, like, the right nutrition tips and, like, showing them some, like, workouts to get in good shape. And, and it shows on Hideki as well. All right. And last but not least, we move to All Japan Pro Wrestling, and they held their Champions Night 3 on March 21st at Odeward City General Gymnasium, and they drew 1,319 fans, which was more than Champions Night 2, although not quite as much as Champions Night 1, but I got to say, that's a success. And plus, there's caps at Oda because it's owned by the municipality. 
Yeah. No, I mean, this is kind of right in line with what they've drawn in Oda City during the pandemic. And because really one of the not better... Not like they ran Oda it regularly numbers. beforehand, so... One of the better pandemic Oda Ward numbers, because New Japan yeah. has, has done like 800 in Oda Ward Gym uh, recently. The only other um, promotion that has done... Um, a good number in Oda Ward was the Geism uh, show last year. Yeah, I think the uh, Dragon Gate generally does well when they go to Oda uh, Oda Ward uh, to the Oda City Dragon Gymnasium as well. Um, but no, I think this is a really good number. I think, I mean, it's nothing to get really super excited about. Uh, well, yeah, but people were freaking out at that two hundred and ninety-two number at Cork and oh, yeah, no. Asia tag title match. No, like people, people, they would, they would, there was a lot of people like parachuting in. Yeah, into the promotion know. and being like, oh, look, all Japan is dying. It's like, no, this was really, that was very much not the norm. I don't even that know why they much booked that Korokan show. Yeah, like especially because like just the previous Korokan show, like they had like the one of the best like like drawings in Korokan like with caps because I'm yeah. pretty sure that show in Korokan was still with caps. Like I think now the caps have been listed for Kirkland, but I'm pretty sure that show still had them. And it was like one of the best drawing ones there. So like, I don't like, I think all Japan right now definitely feels like a very stable promotion. Like it doesn't feel like it's growing, which isn't great either, but it also I think isn't it's going down slightly because Miyagi slightly yeah. back the champion. Yeah. I, I mean, it obviously we'll... helps to have Kanto back on top. Yeah. I guess the champion carnival gives a better thought of that. So we go to our first match. Hiroshi Yamato, Andy Wu, and Seigo Tashibana defeated Ryo Inoue, Sugi, and Takato Nakano in 9 minutes and 39 seconds uh, when Yamato used a fisherman suplex hold on Inoue. Uh, this was a really good uh, opening match. Lots of back and forth action. Um, I thought Sugi actually looked really good here. And uh, Inoue is just a, well, I can't call, I don't know, I can't call him a supernova rookie, but he's a pretty darn good rookie. And uh, even though he took the fall and, um, you know, Yamato looked good here as well, which sets something up later that we'll get to. Yeah, Yamato also looked a lot more serious than he normally does, which again makes sense uh, given that he's going to challenge for the title later. Uh, yeah, no, it was a really good opening match. And I'm really intrigued by Ryo Inoue because he's improving at a rapid pace. And uh, yeah, going to be very interesting to see his development going forward. Like, I think in general, like all Japan has been pretty good about like, because it was kind of shaky there for a while of them, like actually having like good young talent and they've done a really, really good job over the last couple of years, rectifying that problem. Yeah. And it's allowed them to survive a number of sizable departures too, actually, if you think about it. Yeah. And, and I'm sure the these, these guys work for relatively cheap as well, which helps yeah. too. <laughs> and they got the Saitos on excursion too, Yeah, right? So that just adds more depth when they get back. Um, so we got the big Carbel Ito return match. Hell yeah. <laughs> Yoshitatsu, Carbel Ito, and Raimu Imai defeated Izanagi, Shigehiro Irie, and Sushi in 10 minutes and 23 seconds when uh, Yoshitatsu Fanatics, that's the name of the move, uh, translation that I got from Pearl Love. It's basically a, a diving uh, code breaker that he jumps off the second rope and use that to pin Sushi in 1023. Um, Carbell looked good because uh, he had broken an ankle or something and he'd been out a couple of months. Did his, you know, rolling uh, Savat kicks and he, of course, did a dive, insane dive <laughs> uh, to the outside in the closing uh, stretch of the match. Um, I thought uh, Imai in particular looked good here. 
And uh, other than that, yeah, it was solid enough considering mm -hmm. it's basically like a comedy match. Yeah, I'm always a really big fan of the Carvalita dice because it's literally the survival of the promotion is <laughs> dependent on people catching Carvalita <laughs> because he's, he is 50 one years of old. he's one of the biggest sponsors of the entire promotion yeah. <laughs> and he just chucks himself over the top rope and it's just like, you're going to catch me because if you, if you don't, <laughs> then the promotion is going to die alongside with me. <laughs> Like, I think we talked about things that are undisputable, and I think it's undisputable that Carbolito is the greatest money mark ever, because he really has no business being as good as he is. And especially, again, that he's a non-wrestler. Technically, yeah, he's a non-wrestler who's, like, actually really, like, solid as hell in ring as well. I if I mean, if Carbolito, if something happened to Carbolito, I mean, multiple promotions might go under, because he's, like, popped up in <laughs> zero true. one, and hasn't he done he big broke the entire well? Japanese indie scene. Yeah. <laughs> Because I mean, who knows who's like gonna like that. replace him? Is gonna be that excited about like propping up a bunch of like small promotions? Yeah. Uh, number three, uh, finally making their reunion. Dan Tamara and Abdullah Kobayashi defeated Takao Mori and Black Menso Ray in eleven thirty one, with a uh, diving elbow drop from Kobayashi on Menso Ray. I mean, what can you say? Uh, this was fun. I mean, it's obviously not like high work rate or anything, but like Tamara and Kobayashi have great odd couple chemistry. It's funny to watch them. Uh, it was solid work. And Kobayashi got rid of his kilt. I guess you'd call it a kilt. I don't know what to call it. And he just wrestled in his uh, his trunks. Yeah, like the apron was, yeah, that he yeah. wears. Yeah, which is an interesting oh. sight, I guess, to see him like that um i like the team it's fun <laughs> and i'm sure they're going to end up actually finally getting their challenge to the all Asia tag titles now that you know uh, kobayashi's not in covid quarantine anymore so what i'm curious about though so now that dan has teamed with abdullah again does it mean he, he's kicked out of uh evolution again no it seems like suwama has decided to forgive him okay i mean fair enough sure that was the storyline that happened <laughs> yeah I think that if that had match had gone gone forward um, as it was scheduled, Suwama would have just cut a promo backstage after the match saying, okay, Tan, you don't have to leave Evolution. <laughs> That's what it yeah. just would have happened. Yeah. So, um, no, but I, I really hope that they get the All-Asia Tag Title Challenge because, yep, no, as you said, they are a lot of fun. Next up, last man standing match. Shotaro Ashino defeated Ryuki Honda in 12 minutes and 31 seconds. This was awesome. Yeah. <laughs> uh, one, I don't know if I can go call it, it that one of the best last man standing matches ever, but um, it was pretty darn logical for a last man standing match. I mean, you had crazy bumps. Uh, Honda threw Ashino, like gave him our final event through a table. He even tried to stab Ashino at one point and missed and like put the whatever sharp object in stuck in the table. And then basically Ashino just kept suplexing him until Honda couldn't stand up anymore. And then it was like, you know, he would suplex Honda and wait for the 10 count and Honda would keep getting back up. And then like Ashino just went in like what, I think he suplexed him three times or something in a row. And then Honda couldn't get back up. But I just thought yeah. the finish worked so well. No, I thought this was amazing. And I normally, I hate last man standing matches. I think it, in general, it's like an awful stipulation because it's also generally not done very well, where it's just like the ref just starts counting immediately. But like this felt like definitive. This felt like brutal. And 
yeah, like it felt like a very definitive win, like in a, like what it is supposed to be, like it is supposed to be a feud. And uh, like, I would definitely put this like, it is definitely one of the best last man standing matches that I've seen. Like it's definitely the best one that I've seen since the last daddy standing match between Effie and Paro, which that might not sound very good to you, but that was actually a really, really good match as well. Uh, so yeah, no, I, I definitely really, really love this match and I'm really impressed by Honda. Like he's still green to some degree, but I think him and Ashino have amazing chemistry. And I think Honda like can be someone that is like really, really good. And just like with a little bit more polish, I think Honda can become like one of the best workers in the promotion as well. I think Honda was a great heel in this too, right? Yeah. Just no, he was great Ashino before the bell in the aisle and everything, right? No, he was an amazing heel. Yeah. Like his, his character work has been like really, really good. Like, I'm really surprised. I, I actually, like, he's another one of those guys where, like, you didn't expect him to be, like, a great heel. But then the moment he turns heel, it's just immediately, it's like, oh, yeah, no, you're really good at this. And he's just, like, improving rapidly. Unlike someone else that we'll get to in a, in a couple of matches. <laughs> yeah, um, well, I mean, maybe he should just turn back face. Yeah. Uh, the tradition team of Tatsumi Fujinami, Mitsuya Nagai, and Leona defeated next stream team of Yuma Aoyagi at Ski Aoyagi and Rising Hayato in 12 minutes and 16 seconds when Fujinami put Atsuki in a dragon sleeper after a really great looking dragon backbreaker to set it up. Um, I like this match. Wasn't like setting the world on fire. I thought next stream worked really hard to make this match decent. Uh, Fujinami is limited but also still very good at the same time it's weird just the way he carries himself <laughs> i think it is uh as we said uh leona i think we've mentioned before he's a perfectly he's now become a perfectly passable wrestler like a you know a five out of ten instead of like a two out of ten nagai i think was the most limited out of all of them really i mean he can has like mobility issues basically now yeah and but he wasn't too much of a factor in this match so like i gave it like a three stars uh my only thing that was weird is like uh submitting it at ski to fujinami i don't know i mean hayato's right there yeah just didn't if you have to have if you have fujinami go over then if because i guess maybe he vetoed his son getting beaten but it normally doesn't i don't know like it was um, it's like you know fully wants to be on the winning side he's in the winning side on the 50th anniversary match in new japan yeah. too yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I, like, that might legitimately just be the reason. But yeah, like, it was very weird that it was Atsuki, like, getting submitted there. As you said, like, Hayato is right there. Like, you don't lose anything by beating Hayato. Like, he, to me, at the very least, he was very clearly is like the lowest guy in next stream by like a long while as well. I mean, especially like, it's weird given that we recently had like the announcements that like the Iyagi brothers are like some of the biggest merch sellers in the promotion. So it's just very curious that you would beat one of them like just randomly when like you just have like a very clear lost post lost post in your faction and to not have him be the one that gets beat. Yeah, I don't know. It is a very curious decision. Don't think it's gonna be have any like long term effects, obviously, because it was just like a random six man tag match, but still just a curious decision. Next up was the PWF World Junior Heavyweight title. Hikaru Sato defeated Hokuto Omori in 16 minutes and 39 seconds. That's one of the longest uh, junior title matches I can think of in quite some time. 
with a backdrop suplex, successfully making its first defense. I thought this was pretty good. I don't think it got to the level of great. Um, they work really well together, and they sort of did some callback spots to their uh, match in last year's Junior Battle of Glory tournament. Uh, and, and and then, like, Sato continuing on a suplex theme on the show dropped Omori with a bunch of uh, backdrops before he pinned him. Um, like, I went three and a half on this. It just, I don't know. I don't know what about it was. Didn't quite get it up to that next level. Felt like Omori never really felt like much of a threat to Sato in part. I think there was only really one near fall I really bit on. And I think it was the dragon suplex from Omori. But, I mean, you know, the work was good enough. And I don't think it like, I don't know, maybe I'm sounding more negative than I actually was on the match. But there's just something there that you're like, this is good, but you was also something missing. Yeah, no, um, I can definitely echo those feelings. I was a little bit disappointed from this. I had relatively high expectations going in and they had a solid match. But yeah, uh, I definitely thought this could be like the best junior title match of the year so far. No, I don't think it was. Um, yeah, I, I definitely still think like Omori is like, like very clearly going to be a star, but yeah, he, he does feel like a guy that is like in a transitionary period right now. And I think maybe that was kind of hurting where he is kind of like in this weird, like in between like a heel and a face, like it's clear that like a face turn is coming, but it's technically still a heel and like. I think that somewhat affects his work right now. It puts a little bit of a cap well, on his work I, at the well, moment. See, I slightly disagree with that because I prefer him when he's not like kicking people in the balls and like hitting them with chairs. Oh yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I do as well. But like, like I said, like his character is like in this weird transitionary period okay, as well. Yeah. And I think like that kind of hurt the match a little bit as well. Like I think if you run this match back in like three to four months, once presumably Hokuto has like fully turned face and has like found like his working style for that as well. I think then that actually could be a match that actually fulfills my expectations, but it just wasn't at this point. Uh, I think though this saddle rain will be pretty good, and I think it's going to last yeah. a while. Yeah, yeah no. At like, this point, if, if you can make it through, Mori, yeah. If you can make it, if the junior champ can make one successful defense, then they will probably hold the title for a bit. <laughs> yeah, because it's definitely not going to be Hiroshi Yamato that is going to be yeah, him. No. Well, well, he came out, yeah, I mean, challenge. we said the same thing about Super Crazy. <laughs> 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 and I would be less upset if Yamato beats oh, uh, Sato than I was when uh, Super Crazy won the title. Yeah. But yeah, no, I don't like, I, but I would still like put it at a very small chance that Yamato like wins the title. But I think, especially like this, like more serious version of Yamato, I think like him and Sato could have like another like really, really good match. Oh, yeah. I, I, I have high expectations for that one. Yeah. Uh, that doesn't have a date yet, I don't think. No. Um, might not even. Oh, it probably happened on like the final show of the carnival. Yeah. Um, because, yeah, that, that's the thing. Like they did the challenge now, but then, yeah, I don't expect it to happen for a while you now, given that the carnival is coming up. And so uh, I'm sure in some people's uh, hearts, this was the main event. Um, we had the Jake Lee return match, the Voodoo Murders return match to All Japan. It was Suwama, Taru, Shuji Kondo, Kono, and Toshizo, Toshizo uh, went to a no contest against a total eclipse team of Jake Lee, Tajiri, Koji Doi, Kuma Arashi, and Yusuke Okama. And this was about 12 minutes. Uh, 
I don't know. It wasn't as bad as I thought it could have been, although I think they could have had a better match at the same time. It would have all come down to how the match was structured. And so they sort of got midway between the two extremes, maybe a little uh, more towards the bad side. I really like the Jake and Suwama brawling. I like Suwama as a heel. I think it added some edge to his character that it's been sorely lacking, though I don't know if you can really turn him full time now. Um, Taru should be in jail and not in all Japan. Um, <laughs> you know, but he's he's got he's gotten bookings this year in in zero one as well. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I, I kind of like the nostalgia because uh, I, I do love the pro res love era. Um, so I don't know. I went two and a quarter on it. Yeah, no. It was weird though because the it, the way the match ended with the no contest, it looked more like Voodoo Murders was the one that was clearly should have been disqualified instead of a no yeah. contest called. Uh, but that's and then like after the match, Jake and Suwama are like throwing things at each other, and then Suwama picks up the like the guardrails to the 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 audience and everything and throws that around. I'm not quite sure if this is just a one night only thing which is what i thought it was or if it's continuing because they were clearly building a jake versus suama thing but they're not even yeah. in the same carnival block so i don't know what this is going on uh, less, i would prefer this is the final i would prefer if this was just a one night thing yeah i mean in that case suama just dyed his hair red for a one night thing like that's the one thing that makes me like rethink it a little bit because it's like i mean he might have just dyed his hair for one night and then you know he's just gonna like dye it again uh blonde but yeah, I mean, given how much there was between Suvama and Jake Lee, it very clearly felt they were building to something there. And it might just be like a, uh, it might just be a tag title match as well. So could see that happening as well. I mean, the match. Jake and, yeah, was... Jake and uh, Ryuki Honda versus uh, Ashino and Suwama would actually be really good. Yeah, that would be, yeah. So I, I could see that, Matt. I could maybe see that be like the thing that this leads up to. Because again, makes sense, yeah, because you just had uh, you just had the singles match between Honda and Ashino, and now you have Savama and Jake Lee beefing. So yeah, that would make all the sense in the world to just turn it into a tag title match. Yeah, the match itself was like, whatever. Like, I don't know. I didn't feel, find it very inspired at all. Like, it was just... And even in terms of like cheating and everything, it felt kind of lazy all throughout. Like no one, like except yeah. for Jake Lee and Suvama, no one really seemed to have like none. No one else in this match seemed to want to be in this match. No, uh, if Kono, I remember a couple of Shuji Kondo spots, although there were not enough. But I don't remember yeah. anything Kono did in this entire no. match. Like I actually forgot he was in there until I like read over the results again. I was like, oh yeah, he was there. I don't remember a single thing that he did, but like a lot that goes for like a lot of the total eclipse team as well. Like I don't remember a single thing Koji Doi did. Did he even tag into the match? I don't know. <laughs> I think Kodama was in there because they were beating because Voodoo Murders were beating him up for a bit. Um, but it was mostly Jake Lee and Suwama. Yeah, so like it might have legitimately been that Koji Doi and Kumarashi just came out. Stood on the apron. If they even did that, it might have also been that they just went backstage immediately. Like as far as, like I don't remember them even being on the apron. I'm sure they were there. I'm sure they probably did something, but I just they might as well have not been there at all. And so announced at intermission, Budokan show on September nineteenth uh, will be televised on 
NTV or BSNTV, which is the 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 satellite channel of NTV. So um, All Japan returns 22 years to after 22 years to NTV, which I think is a pretty big deal. Um, I speculated that if they're getting on NTV like that, they must have a big name that's going to be on that show. But yeah. I don't know. I have no evidence of that. It's just a, it's just a hunch. And there's going to be a Champions Night four in on June 19th. And then um, in May, and I can't remember the exact dates, but there'll be back-to-back -back nights in Sapporo for the first time since the pandemic started. And on the first night, the world tag titles will be defended. On the second night will be a Triple Crown title match. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I still fully expect there to be some big name on the Budokan show, and I would still expect that it is some sort of New Japan involvement because that is just what makes the most sense, unless you have like someone like, I mean, I could still see maybe like an Akiyama come in for that as well, but would yeah. that really be enough to like draw additionally in Budokan? Maybe. Would Kento but, versus Akiyama yeah. in the main event of Budokan draw, do you think? Yeah, I don't, I don't think that's yeah. going to happen, but would it? Yeah. I think that would draw. Yeah. Because they've never had a triple crown match as far as I know. Didn't they really early on? Because that was after, because that was after Akiyama had kind of taken himself out of the main yeah, event. Yeah, it was in, I think it was in Hakata Star Lanes in 2016. RIP mm -hmm. Hakata Star Lanes, one of the coolest venues. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that was the only time they had a triple crown match. So it's pretty fresh, but yeah. I don't think that's. And I mean, it's been like a long time as well. Oh yeah. And okay. Yeah, I actually did forget about that one. Yeah. I mean, how much did that one draw down in Hakata? Probably not good. Six hundred and five. <laughs> now I don't know how Hakata, how many Hakata Sterlings would actually hold because back mm -hmm. in like the day, people would claim two thousand in there. Yeah, <laughs> but I mean, yeah, I could see that draw as kind of a fresh match as well. Uh, I mean, I don't. I mean, I don't know if they if they're gonna put like whoever out the outsider is, or if there's only gonna be one. I don't know if that's going to be the person in a triple crown match, though, because I would still think that they want to keep the triple crown match internal. They I should. still think it is probably going to be Yuma versus Kento. And then maybe to have, like, in the semi-main, have, like, Jake Lee and someone else against, mm -hmm. like, the outsider and Suwama or something like that. Uh, and I don't know, like, I don't have any indication. I don't have, but I still have, like, somehow have a feeling that it's going to be Tanahashi. But that's literally just a 100% gut feeling. Yeah. Uh, same thing. I have that, like, gut feeling. And it's like, that's really what I want it to be, even. Because it needs to be someone that is big that New Japan is also willing to, like, send to a show like this because they're not going to send Okada. No. Um, and our main event. For the Triple Crown, Kento Miyahara defeated Shuji Ishikawa in 32 minutes and 28 seconds with the shutdown German suplex to make his second defense. Uh, I thought the match was good, not great. Uh, a lot Now, this match is getting a lot of attention. Uh, a lot of people are saying it's one of the best Triple Crown matches in quite some time. It has a really good rating on Cage Match, for example, almost at 9, or maybe even at 9. Um my issue with this match, and I seem to be a bit of an outlier, is I thought this match was like just basically Shuji beating up Kento for like 30 minutes and then Kento like being Kento Hogan and hawking up and just like hitting the knee and hitting the, the shutdown German to win. I mean, the work was good. There were some cool ass spots. 
Um, but there was only one point where I felt Kento was in any danger, which is when that uh, uh, Miyahara Slayer 2022, which looks like Brody King's Gonzo Bomb, when Ishikawa hit that, that was a good kick out. But other than that, it just felt like going to beat up Kento and make his heroic comeback. We've seen it before. So I don't know. That was my take. I mean, I uh, uh, I will be positive uh, given or my positive spin basically on this match getting a lot of positive attention is that there's more attention on all Japan than I guess in the West because I've seen these people have way better matches than this. Like this doesn't even com compare at all to like the 2017 match. And again, like generally when these two have matches, the match is Shuji Ishikawa beats up Kenji Miyahara. And then either Ishikawa wins or Miyahara manages to like do like his like yeah Hogan Miyahara thing and come back. That is their general match structure, and that's what they did here again, but like just as a lesser version of what they normally do. Like it was still a good match, but like just compare it in the series. Like this was definitely one of the weaker ones. So my positive spin on that is just that there were somehow more people paying attention to it now than there were previously. Because if people kind of go back and watch their previous matches, like I don't think this one compares to that at all. Uh, no, definitely. I, I definitely agree that it doesn't compare to their previous ones. Um, but you know what? I'll take the positive attention that All Japan has gotten, and they've gotten a yeah. good amount coming out of the show. Yeah. So I was really surprised how much positive attention uh, this match got coming out of it. And there, there were some people that were like talking it up as like a match of the year contender as well, which yet. Yeah, Definitely didn't even get close to that for me, to be honest. But hey, look, I'm always really happy if All Japan gets like positive attention. So I, I will take it and I will not complain about it too much. Yeah, I mean, and as a show as a whole, I thought it was pretty solid because, yep. you know, sometimes the undercards in All Japan are not great, you know. So um, so this was really solid top to bottom. The only thing you can say that was bad was the Voodoo Murders match. But I think yeah, a lot of people expect that anyway. No, yeah, and I mean, at least it had like some sort of like storyline development, I guess, as well. So, I mean, it, like it wasn't like a completely like it because that would have been like even worse if it had just been as bad as it was, and then it wouldn't have lead, lead it wouldn't lead to anything. And but it very clearly seems like it's going to lead to some sort of like issue between Suvama and Jake Lee. So no, I I thought like all throughout this was like a really good like top to bottom like very solid show. With a good main event and yeah i don't think like i think it's definitely something if you watch any of these four shows that we talked about today i think that one is definitely going to be like the easiest watch like i don't think it was the best show but it was definitely like the easiest to watch okay and so before we get to the champion carnival i'll just say we will preview the all japan new japan korokin hall 60th anniversary show on the next show because by then we will probably have a replacement for sonata who broke his orbital bone and will be missing the main event of that show where he was going to mm -hmm. team with jake lee against uh, kento and hiroshi tanahashi that's such a way that's such, such a shame like that would have been a great match but i would assume that new japan is going to send a good replacement Hopefully, yeah. Um, I don't know who it'll be, but because uh, I don't know, well, I don't want to spend too much time speculating, but he yeah. could have very well have been the fall guy in that. But um, so we'll go to the champion carnival, which were the blocks were announced since the last time we recorded. So, block A, we have Jake Lee, Shuji Ishikawa, Shotaro Ashino, Ryuki Honda, Shigehiro Irie, and T Hawk of Great. In the block B, we have Kento Miyahara, Suwama. Yoshitatsu, 
Yuma Aoyagi, Kuma Arashi, and probably the announcement that uh, made everyone very excited. We've got Big Japan's Takuya Nomura. Paul, what do you think of this lineup? Uh, I think this is a really solid as hell lineup. Uh, I like that it is mostly kind of interior all Japan guys, uh, interior all like like all Japan guys primarily, with just a few kind of outsiders thrown in. Because uh, I think it definitely felt there for a while. You know that the Champion Carnival was like very heavily carried by like whoever the outsiders are that are coming in. And I don't think that's the case anymore. Uh, and I think they just added like the right amount of people as well. Like I think Takuya Nomura is a tremendous addition to the Champion Carnival. Like. I know that on paper, block A is the stronger one, but I'm actually kind of intrigued by the lineup of block B. Like, I think that one flies a little bit under the radar for people. Like, I think there's a lot of potential in there. Uh, I'll give you a quick hot take of my uh, opinions on this. I think the weakest link in the block B is actually Kumo Rashi and not Yoshitatsu. Ooh, interesting. Because Yoshitatsu has proven he's got shockingly good chemistry with suama and yeah. his matches against kento are usually pretty good too yeah i could see that uh, i mean i'm kind of a bit of a mark for kuma rashi so i think yeah I, I mean obviously this is like the moment if he was ever gonna like do anything as a singles worker like this is like the chance for this him is now chance, yeah this is his chance if he still doesn't develop here then i think he's just yeah he is just slotted in as a tag guy for the rest of his career now, putting your fandom of Kuma aside, do you think Koji Doi would have been better here, or do you think it's better that they sort of rotate them in and out? Yeah, it was very curious that Koji Doi didn't get a slot here at all, um, and don't know if that's like indicative of anything. Yeah, I mean, generally, I would say Doi has been the better singles worker, but to be honest, like the golf isn't as wide as people might think it is, and. Yeah, I think Kumarashi also brings like something like a little bit different to it than Doi might have been. He's more charismatic than Doi. Yeah, yeah, that that is for sure as well. Like I like my favorite singles match of his is still when he squashed Jiro in the Champion Carnival. Oh yes, that was the, one of the hi few highlights of the 2020 Champion Carnival. Yeah, that was like that, that was, was I think that was legitimately my second favorite match of the entire carnival. <laughs> Because then he just spent like five minutes on the top rope uh, doing air guitar. Um, like longer than the match. <laughs> I don't know if we need to go through everyone um, because I think some things are more obvious than others. I'm just going to mm -hmm. say I think Jake Lee wins this because the May, uh, Jake Lee's from Sapporo, or at least he's from Hokkaido, I believe, right? Yeah. And that's, yes. where, that's where the May Triple Crown match is in, is at. So that's why I think in part, and I think in part, it, it fits because I think Jake Lee's not going near the Triple Crown again anytime soon, but him mm -hmm. winning the Carnival for a second straight year at least, you know, says, oh, this guy's still a main eventer without, mm -hmm. and then you can cycle him down from there. And I mean, we still assume that like Jake Lee was going to have like a Triple Crown, like that they were going, that Kento was going to beat Jake Lee for the Triple Crown at some point. So they might still want to like just at the show have we, that match. We just point. talked about, I think. Yeah, I mean, it might have actually been that Kento was originally like slotted in to like win the carnival, and then they just had to like put the title on him when Jake got injured. So it just makes yeah. sense to just flip that. No, I think that does make sense. I think Yuma has an outside chance of winning as well, but again, I do think he's going to be the Bodokan uh, title match. So I think and he definitely has a, but I do think he has a chance of winning. I think Yuma wins the block. 
Yeah. So he goes to the fight. So the finalist Jake versus Yuma. Well, what 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 are the what are the other possible finals? You sent to Kuyanomura through. Um, well, he's not like a, I mean the he's not like the you don't put the outsider against one of your own heels. Yeah, that's weird. Uh, you could send Kento, and you could have Jake beat Kento to heat that their matchup. Yeah, because you could have Savama to, Savama versus Jake. Yeah, because they just had that heat at the that's at show. true too. Yeah, um, I um, the thing I was gonna say is yeah, you can do Kento and Jake again in Cork and Hall because then you're doing it again the next month, but that's all the way up in Sapporo, so it's not like you're burning out the the uh, city. Um, yeah. I just think Yuma's a nice, like, right? I mean, it, to me, if you think that it's going to be Yuma and Kento at Budokan, well, why don't you start that Yuma ascent where you're like, well, now he makes the champion carnival finals for his first time, but yeah. he fails. So because would you beat, would you have Yuma beat Kento in champion carnival? Or would you no. make that his one loss in the carnival? Uh, you can, well, let's go to the final nights of the, the, the uh, carnival. So there's a show on April 24th at Corican Hall, which is the final A night, uh, block A night. Because whenever I look at round robin tournaments in Japan, I go straight to the final block nights. Yeah. yeah. So the final block A night. Basically spoils everything. <laughs> Jake Lee versus T Hawk. Shitaro yeah. Shino versus Shigehiro Irie. And Shuji Ishikawa versus Ryuki Honda. That's and three tremendous matches. <laughs> I, think I think Honda beats Ishikawa to spoil him. Yeah. And I can see Irie beating Ashino to spoil him. And then Lee beats mm -hmm. T-Hawk. Yeah. Uh, now on the 29th at Nagoya International Conference Hall is the B-Block final night. Kento versus Yuma. So I think so that's Yuma, time. Yuma beats Kento to... Time limit draw. Time limit draw, yeah. Because you have also Suwama versus Yoshitatsu. And you can have Tatsu upset Suwama. Yeah, absolutely. To allow Yuma to go through via draw and then Takuya Nomura versus Kuma Rashi and I would assume that Nomura is winning that it probably also doesn't matter yeah yeah so that that's yeah. my scenario yeah no I could see that but yeah yeah I think if, like looking at that I think like really the most likely final is Jake versus either Kento or Yuma yeah like I think that just makes the most sense and again like that's also like a great time because again these are like Free kind of young, like these are very clearly like the <laughs> the free pillars <laughs> of all Japan right now. Right. Uh, yeah. So I think that would make like the most sense, and like like I think really the most intriguing match is Yuma versus Kento because now if if yeah, I don't if know Yuma... if, you have, if you have Yuma beat Kento or if you either have Kento win or yeah, as I said, do a draw. If if Yuma does win this tournament, I think they should send Ashino to the finals. Yeah. No. Yeah. And, because you don't win. Yeah. Yeah. No. That makes and, sense. And yeah. Ashino has like uh, I think two straight wins over Yuma in um, singles matches. So I just think that's like a good story to tell, and it would be an incredible match. Well, actually, I have actually I have another suggestion for you. If Yuma wins, uh, who should go to the final from the A block? And it's Shuji Ishikawa. Actually, yeah, that that's, sounds a bad idea. That's been a thing for a while now, and where like because Ishikawa was just beating Yuma like a drum when he was younger. Right. Like so much so that he like didn't even get any offense in, in some of those singles matches. Yeah. So if you really want to put like Yuma over the top by having him win the carnival, you have him beat the guy that was just dominating him like just a few years ago. Right. Um, now, 
the other interesting thing I guess to watch out for in the coming months is if they announce a Royal Road tournament in August to lead up to Budokan. Because if they do that, then it's probably going to be Yuma versus Kento at Budokan. But if they yeah. don't do the tournament, then it's an outsider. Or the outsider could win the tournament, I suppose. Yeah, no, but I think, yeah, I mean, if they do the Royal Road, then I guess maybe like you could actually do like Ishikawa versus Yuma as the final on the Royal Road. Because, yeah. yeah. Um, what are the chances you say Ashino wins? Not very high, to be honest. Okay. I could because he is signed now. So I think he is going, he's definitely going to be in the mix. I would say maybe 3%. Okay. Yeah, the more I think it, like, I, I, I thought about it, I wanted it. And see, my original plan was uh, Ashino beats Yuma in the finals of this, of the, mm. the carnival, and then Yuma beats Ashino in the final of the Royal Road Tournament. Ah. Yeah, I, I mean, that they, could happen as well. Like, I, I, mean, I really I think they're locked into Jake being the challenger because it's in Sapporo. But, I mean, have they really done, have they really booked it like that? Generally speaking, whenever they've been to, like, uh, yeah, because they used to do that with Zeus and Osaka. Yeah, how well had that worked? <laughs> yeah, and I figured so, they were going to draw on Sapporo anyway because they haven't been there in two years. But exactly, like that's the thing. Like you don't actually need to put a Drake. Like you don't need to put like a hometown title match on top, especially if the hometown guy is a heel and loser. Where you will probably just draw based on the fact that you haven't been there for two years. Yeah, I mean, I think. So in that case, I could actually be Ashino. I I still think Jake is the the favorite, but I'm not wedded to that. I can be convinced otherwise. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, no, so, I mean, yeah. Yeah, if you think about it, yeah, because they're going to draw regardless. Like, they don't need to burn a match for that. Well, also here's the thing: they already announced the tag title match in Sapporo, so I don't know if that if that would affect how you book everything. And in that regards, Jake winning the carnival can be done. Mm-hmm. Right, but again, like they, they they announced just that that the uh, runaway suplex will have a tag title match, right? Yeah. They didn't announce the opponents. So right. you see, and again, like that's why I'm thinking like it might also be Jake. Like Jake might be in a tag title match. So like yeah. that way you put Jake in a title match, and then you can have someone else in the triple crown match. What do you think of the chances of Nomura winning the tournament? I mean, again, like because we just think that he is the Budokan match, but it might just be that. They might just have him win the champion carnival, then lose to Kento in the triple crown match, and then maybe they're gonna hold off on his title win for a little bit longer. Because he is still young, like you can still have him win the title next year, and that's fine. Like yeah. he's still only gonna be 26. Yeah. And he has won a carnival already, which is already like a massive accomplishment for him. Right. That's true too. So yeah, I mean I think there's enough. It's not super obvious. And I yeah. think there's some, it'll come down to the wire, obviously, the way these things are booked. And one final note before we get out of here. Did you see that picture of Naoya Nomura in Capture? Uh, yeah. He's, he's, definitely adapting, he's definitely adapting well to the uh, Japanese indie sleaze lifestyle, I guess. So basically, uh, this comes from Capture International, where Naoya Nomura is now, I don't know, affiliated with for whatever reason, uh, making his departure from all Japan even more inexplicable in some ways. He looks like a cross between a shooter and a shooter doing a Chono gimmick, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, which wouldn't be a bad gimmick for him to, you know, someday return to All Japan with, actually. Uh, maybe he should come in and, and displace Jake as leader of uh, Total Eclipse. I mean, just looking at the clips that you get from Capture, it's, I mean, it very much looks like Gato move, but for shooters. 
<laughs> yeah, they don't have a ring either. They fight on a map. Yeah. Which again, that's why I really want to go there because I love going to gacha move shows. And I think capture actually would be like right up my alley. It's like, yes, you give me shoot style and like you're like super close to like the action and everything. I think that actually is a lot of fun, but it definitely is also something that feels like a little bit beneath Noia no more. And it like, is. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's been a couple of months now and it doesn't really seem like anyone's going to bring him in. I, I thought there might have been like an outside chance that they were going to bring him back for the carnival, but. They yeah, obviously did. He, he went with a different be, Nomura. If he turns out to be healthy, I don't really see if no one else has touched him, then why he just doesn't come back to all Japan, even if on a freelance basis. Yeah. Anyway. Because even uh, if he just wants to be like a weekend warrior, like he can yeah, still maybe. do that. And like, like there's better promotions like to be weekend warriors. Like capture, like he can still do like bigger promotions than that. Yeah. Well, we will keep, uh, I will keep, you know, uh, we'll keep doing the Naoya Nomura updates because he's still one of my favorite wrestlers. <laughs> as long as he's still technically active, I'll say, uh, even if I'm not going to be able to see any of his matches. All right. Well, we covered a lot today. Uh, Paul, any final thoughts? Um, yeah, I'm really excited about the carnival, to be honest. Like, it's, I think this is potential to be like, because it is always kind of the big tournament out of the gate. Uh, so yeah, I think that the, the lineups are really good and I think we should get some really good matches out of that. And uh, I think it's definitely going to be, I think it has a chance to be one of the better carnivals recently. I'm not sure if it'll come close to 2018 or 2019, but it's already, as far as I'm concerned, pretty confident that it'll beat uh, 2020 and last year's. Yeah, 2020, um, I mean, 2020 is not very hard to beat. No, definitely not. <laughs> very easy. But yet, Although, I don't think it's going to get to the heights of like the 2018 one. But I think it, I think it's because I saw some people that were kind of down on it. And I think it's going to surprise people. I think so too. Yeah. And I think, oh, it's like, I don't want to get too excited about, look, All Japan has picked up momentum. I don't want to get yeah. too excited about it because it's very easy to get burned because either they will do something stupid in the booking, which is very possible, or they also just have a lot of bad luck. Oh, someone so, gets injured, yeah. Yeah, and so you know, you gotta just take uh be cautiously optimistic on that. Anyway, you can follow us on Twitter at uh Emerald Flow Show, and we will see you in two weeks.